and welcome to Colors of the Dark number, I don't know. 53-ish, 4-ish, somewhere 50, in there. 50-something-ish. Um, I'm your co-host, Rebecca McKendry, and with me is Elric Kane. How's it going, sir? Mr. I didn't get President's Day off from school. I didn't get President's off Day off for work. That is true. Um, and I was going to show the Manchurian candidate as my act of rebellion, <laughs> um, because let's, let's watch something about assassinations. But um uh yeah no look uh 50, that's, that's terrible already hey, you know ter- 50 saying episodes in 10 years we're, we're really cranking this show out you know that's like <laughs> that's like two episodes a year i think or something two episodes a year wow, I, know, look at us go. I know we need a lot of breaks in order to prep so now yeah. um well this week we actually watched any's men and we were super excited to talk about it. This is a new one coming from Neon. Um, we got word that they they kind of want us to hold off for a little bit until closer to when it's come out. So we're going to circle back to that one in end of March. But let's just say it was very polarizing for us. Yes, we, but we'll talk about it. But it is, it, and I've been corrected by people online from the UK because it's because in Welsh it means Stone Island, but it's pronounced Innie's Main, even though it's spelled men. Maine as an M-A-I-N. So multiple people literally wrote to me that when I mentioned it on our upcoming, they're all like, oh, just so you know, in Welsh it's pronounced. I'm like, how the hell would I know what it's pronounced in Welsh? Come on. It is Maine. <laughs> okay. Maine. But but uh, yes, we will definitely talk about it because we had uh, polarized different opinions on it uh, somewhat. We did. Uh, we did. And you can look so, up the yeah. trailer in advance. And it's been out in a while for the UK. So I feel it's, you know, it's, it's one that in America hasn't been discussed much yet. But yeah, we'll circle back to it in March. But in the meantime um not a lot of new stuff coming out over the last two weeks i was definitely like with colors we always aim to try to hit some of the brand new stuff that's coming out did not see a lot of new movies releasing so instead i found a brand new tv show on netflix so i'm gonna start there um because this is definitely like my new one for the for the show um so this is red rose Hmm. and this i found this because it was sitting in the top 10 list on netflix when i turned on the tv a couple nights ago so easy you listen to algorithms look at you I know. I love that. That's how I can tell what my students are going to be talking about when I roll into class the next day is, you know, whatever is like whatever strongman show they're all watching right now. That's like feats of strength, whatever British bake off. It's always what is sitting in that top 10 is what my students are going to check out. So I usually will at least watch a little bit of whatever's there or at least be aware of it. I like to be aware of the algorithm. And then um, so I turned in on this is probably Sunday night. Yeah, Sunday night. The, the night before the day I had off from work. Um, and I saw this new, I'll say horror thriller TV show. It's definitely got a lot of horror notes to it, but um, horror thriller teen technology horror tv show sitting in the top 10 so i checked out red rose this is a british tv show um just released last week and it is set in um i believe the area right outside of manchester and it is about a group of kids from various social classes our main protagonist i'll say starting main protagonist is definitely from a lower class um like getting electricity turned off and dad's always working and she has to take care of her two sisters and scrambling to try 
try to find them food and having to go to the food bank level of social class that our main protagonist for the first couple of episodes is in. And so um, the whole show opens with a suicide. It opens with a rich girl committing suicide in this really kind of weird way where you know that she's getting messages on her phone telling her to do it. And she's real paranoid about things happening around the house. And she's getting texts that indicates that somebody can see her. And then she kills herself and you don't really know what happened and you're getting notes of it that the people might be uh, know her at the school. But we're looking at this school with this vast amount of money disparity where some of the kids are incredibly wealthy and some of them are not. And the girl that we're following, our protagonist, who's very much um, on the lower class, it she suddenly gets this um, text asking her to join this app called Red Rose. And it promises to give her a new life and a new you. And she joins it and it asks her all these personal questions about herself. And then all of a sudden it starts giving her money and then her power comes back on. And then there's this party at the rich girl's house next weekend and a dress shows up in her backyard with, um, fancy fancy shoes to go along with it and she seems to be getting it through the app like it's interacting with her and asking her questions and then basically says red rose will take care of you um and then suddenly these things will show up but then it starts asking her to do increasingly weird dares in exchange for things so like the first one um in exchange for the dress and the shoes she has to kiss the boy uh, that her best friend has a crush on at the party in front of everybody. And so she does it real quick. It shocks the girl and then that's it. But she's got the dress and the shoes. But every single time it keeps getting increasingly worse. And I will say episode two for me took an incredibly sharp turn. You learn really quickly that the app knows everything about these people. It knows everything about their life. And the ultimate goal of the app is to try to see how, what it can push them to do. And it always has threats that it's going to launch against them. Um, so this was very much like blackmail technology to the nth degree, but it really is structured like a horror movie because you don't know if the app, it seems to have something supernatural happening with it because it is able to tell all this stuff about these kids' lives. And it really, it like to a degree that it knows what they're thinking and why they would respond particular ways in situations. Um, this was fun. I will say I found the app stuff and the dares and the reward system to be really captivating. As soon as the kids started talking, like it showed them going to a Manchester field party <laughs> and drinking for like a good 20 minute scene. I was really checking out then. And for some reason, they're all dancing to like rhythm is a dancer, which was like cool when I was in fourth grade. Um, Does anyone but- say James? Like- Hey, do they all James. sound like Mia Goth? Yes. <laughs> um, no. Oh, um, but that's, there were a few characters I admittedly did have to turn the subtitles on for. No shame. They're strong accents. Uh, actually, I think there's um, a lot of shame. Every time I've been in America, Americans are always like, yeah, I had to watch that Scottish film. I'm always like, it's still English, though. Let's just remember that. I get it. No, <laughs> even that TV show that I glowed about because I absolutely enjoyed it. The Rig from a couple mm. that I had mentioned a couple of shows ago. I had to have the subtitle on for chunks of that because there were some characters. I was just like, I don't even know anymore. Well, it's the I'm slang. Just... The level of slang yeah. in some of those, some of the Brit- uh, shows are 
are just so niche that yeah, it can be a lot. And that's it's the raging dialects, and I'm sure that the same thing happens because, like, admittedly, my dad sounds like Boonhauer from King of the Hill. And if you have not been listening to that dialect your yeah. entire life, you have no idea what they're saying. But the number of dangs and daggons he can work into a single sentence is shocking, and no one has a clue what he's saying unless you're from the region. Um, so I get it, I get it. But that said, yeah, I uh, I definitely there were a couple times that I had to be like, wait, what? Um, but this is really fun. I will say this is very much for a teen audience um, because that's where the characters are based and that's the problems that you're dealing with is, ooh, so-and-so kissed my boyfriend at a party and if I don't get those fancy shoes for the party, I'm just going to die. Um, but that said, the stuff with the app is pretty fun. And the episodes, they they're felt short. I mean, I guess it was an hour, but it, it definitely moved. Um, so I'm like four episodes in on this and I plan to keep going just because I need to see where it's going. And again, Big sharp turn at the end of the second episode. And then I was like, okay, all bets are off. Now we're in. It gets serious then. Um, so yeah, that is Red Rose now on Netflix. All right. So yeah, it was really hard to find a new thing. There's some new things that just didn't, I didn't want to watch. There's a few movies out there that we probably should talk about. And I just like, sometimes you just get a feeling like, you know what? I don't care. And that's just something that happens as you get older, I guess. But I I, I came across a title that I didn't even know if it was a horror film called Project Wolf Hunting. And I was like, that's not a great title. It's a South Korean film. I was like curious. But when I looked it up, it, sure enough, it was a Fantastic Fest film from this last, you know, Fantastic Fest. And a lot of people I like that didn't have a lot of reviews raved it. They were giving it four stars. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't. How did this brand new film kind of under the radar? So uh, I'll ask you a couple questions. First, would you want to see a, blood, a film that uses 2.5 tons of blood? That's how much blood was used in this film. 2.5 tons. Um, Is it going to come in one scene? Because I feel like there's like a blood truck at that point. No, this is... Okay, so here's my pitch. Uh, Universal Soldier as a zombie Mm -hmm. on Con Air. That's what you're going for here. Uh, You know what? Somebody else described this movie for me earlier this week, and they too gave the Universal well, Soldier me, comparison. <laughs> no, but it was somebody I was at a oh, party okay. when they did it. Oh. So uh, I was at a kid's birthday party, and somebody else described it as Universal Soldier. Yeah, it, it's so, like, yeah. uh, so people familiar, obviously, if you listen to our deep cuts, I talk a lot about the Cat 3 crazy Hong Kong horror films. This is definitely, even though it's from uh, South Korea, which has its own level of carnage but there's a bonkers carnage to the hong kong cat three films that feels like like no one's watching and the stunts are being you know no one's seeing what wild stuff's transpiring this definitely has that vibe i would say also if you like the sadness from last year it's kind of got that downbeat super bloody super disturbing violence so this is um i i know i was really impressed honestly on a technical level especially this is a film about a bunch of criminals uh, who are South Korean in origin, but they have all run off. They're not related. They're just random criminals who've all tried to get away, uh, escape the penal system and, and are in like the Philippines. And they're going to all be brought back to face charges. And so it's been, so they're going to take them by a massive sh- container ship uh, to do it. And we're talking a lot of them. I think there's like 40 or something of these criminals. Uh, so it's like, you know, in con air kind of setup. Each criminal is going to have a corresponding cop whose sole job is to watch them on the ship because that's how dangerous these guys. So now you've got a lot of people in this cast and coming on and you kind of introduce each of these characters and you know which ones are really sinister and outrageously bad, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So you get on. So that's the setup. 
And that takes the first 30 minutes. And that alone, I would have kept watching that movie because that was actually a pretty entertaining movie. But then it goes to the bottom floor of this giant ship. And for some reason, at the exact same time, basically, if you're familiar with the origin of like Wolverine, he was like Project X or whatever, where he was Mm -hmm. like a test subject. That's basically what's on this floor. There's two guys who are looking at the zombie. It looks like basically a buff zombie. They, you know, you even see some maggots on the person uh, and you're not sure what they are. Their eyes are like sewn shut, basically. They have their really interesting looking eyes uh, in this thing. And you don't know what it is. And they're transporting this. And the people upstairs have no clue this is also happening. So I'll just cut to the long and short of, of course, this thing, you know, sparks to life. And in some movies that can, you know, feel cheesy. This thing, you know, it can't see. So it's kind of like Predator as well. It has like a heat, heat seeking kind of vibe. And it it just tears people limb from limb, bashes them with their like arms, you know, cracks heads open. It's really like the violence in it is not silly. You're not, you're not laughing. It's like just actually quite aggressive and, and visceral. Um, it, it drags a bit for like the kind of movie it is. It's like two hours exactly or something. And you're like, this is probably to sustain this kind of movie. It's a little hard, but it was really entertaining. And of the new stuff for people like, you know, actually th- films that like have, you know, it could be kind of an iconic uh, killer character. He doesn't say anything though. So it's like a silent killer. Uh, and you, and you get a little backstory. It's a, not as good. The backstory from like when this k- killer was kind of formed and how it's working and stuff, but, but the action's great. So if you're into like the raid and movies like that, uh, there's a little bit of that in this. So that's project wolf hunting. Again, one I, in a million years, I probably wouldn't have heard it if it, I didn't just stumble upon it and look it up on letterbox. So that was actually fun. Wow, that sounds like a blast. Well, I'm going to follow that up with my graphic novel reads for the week, because that's what I did do was I read a bunch of graphic novels. Some of them I'm going to save for deep cuts Mm -hmm. and some of them I'll get to next week because that's how many I watched or read. But um, I'm going to kick off just because I know you're a fan as well with The Closet. This is um, a new one from James Tinian, the fourth, who you read Nice House on the Lake last year. And I put it in like my top 10 of like my favorite horror things I did. Did last year he also has a really tight one called department of truth that i'd covered last year as well and something is killing the children um this is his i'll say his existential dread one and i feel like they're all like that's his thing like they're all full of existential dread this is basically existential dread the graphic novel Um, The setup, and I'll I'll get kind of more into kind of how I'm going to frame it in a sec, but the setup is this middle-aged man with a wife and a son, and he's trying to move his family across country. Um, They've had some some bad stuff happen. The husband and wife almost got a divorce, but they've decided to try keep working it out, keep their marriage together. They're moving all the way across the country. It's a couple days drive from like New York to like Seattle or wherever they're headed um, on the, the Pacific coast. And um, his wife has gone out there ahead of time. So he's got a couple of days just driving with his son. And um, and he stops along the way at like his one of his old friends places, his brother. Um, and he's kind of doing these stops along the way. And while we're focusing, this guy is like a total hot mess. Like he's miserable with everything. He basically didn't go out at the same time as wife because he wanted a couple of days away from her. He's really sad with the way that things turned out. He feels like he's old. He's just going through the ultimate midlife crisis. And at the same time, he's really not paying any attention to his son so much so that he forgets to bring along all the clothes and toiletries that his son will need. So he doesn't have a change of clothes or toothbrushes for him or anything. So like his son's kind of just along for the ride and the dad's very much in his own head and going through some stuff as they're traveling. 
The whole time, the son in every, he hated his old house because he kept saying that there was this closet monster and you see it and it's terrifying and it comes out every night and drags him into the closet and he's scared to death of it. Every single hotel room that they show up in, the closet monster is there and it finds some way to come back out. Even if there's not a closet, it will find a way into the room to get him. Um, But it's happening very much in the background. Like the focus is on this guy going through this like complete and total midlife psychological crisis. And then in the background, his son is just being continuously pursued by this closet monster. And he thinks, you know, his son's going through some psychological stuff, but it's just childhood terrors, right? Um, The whole thing, it reads like an A24 film, the graphic novel where the focal point is this adult character going through very adult problems and the horror is just steaming underneath just a tiny little bit. Um, And it's just all this existential dread of what the dad is going through. And then every couple of pages, you're getting nuances of what the kid's going through and this closet monster pursuing him. Um, This, I read the full volume one, which was um, released, I think, think this started releasing last year um and so this is the full volume that i read it's got a couple of different issues in it but yeah this was and this came from image this was wild like i would say um don't go into this expecting like full slice them up horror film or horror graphic novel this is very much like a um a24 the graphic novel where there's horror in there but it's going to be just hanging out right below the surface the entire time and never really attacks until the very end so and i hope they keep going with this like it felt unfinished to me um so i want to see where they continue with this it did not feel like a lot of other james tinian stuff where most of the stuff i've read by him um department of truth nice house on the lake something's killing the children and even he's got this old one called the eighth seal um which was one of his first they are all like super high concept you know crazy monster lives in the president's wife or there's this beast that eats kids that only this one woman can see the beast like a nice house on the lake super high complex concept this is not this is one dad and one kid driving cross country both dealing with psychological demons it's Hmm. it's pretty wild sounds like i might Um, like it 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 was subtle but it really worked now i'm going to give you the adverse of that one um if that was the uh the you know let's just let the horror just steep just slightly below the surface graphic novel the second one i read is called i hate this place also from image um and whereas the closet was subtle and really slight on the horror this one literally just shotguns everything at the wall to see what would stick it's got ghosts aliens forest demons it is all in this motherfucking book um the setup of i hate this place is a woman inherits a farmhouse that she's only been to once when she was like super young she inherits from an aunt that she has very vague memories of eat meeting but her parents are dead the aunt's dead the family is she's all that's left she inherits this dairy farm and so she brings along her girlfriend and they decide you know we didn't have much else going on life kind of sucked let's go take over this dairy farm and be dairy farmers they get there and on the very first night they find this videotape from the aunt that basically gives these rules for the house that says don't go out at night don't let any of the ghosts touch you if you see the horned forest demon run like hell plus everybody thinks there's aliens because there's all these orbs that circle around the farm constantly that seem to respond and know what you're doing and it's all real 
And um, so, yeah, this one is just utterly bonkers. I read the first volume again. This is issue one through six. This one came out in December of 2022. So it's recent. Um, And I have to keep reading this because it is just throwing so much amazing horror. I need to know what's going on in this. So this one, it's a beautiful setup and it's just utterly bonkers and really good characters. I really like the characters in this. Um, So, yeah, this one is I Hate This Place, also from Image. Okay. Um, um, so yeah, both of those, the closet and then I hate this place was the ultimate like bonkers one. In A24's defense, though, uh, they did have that one girl who put her head out the window and got her head slammed off. Got her head lobbed so off. I do feel yeah, like things yeah. happen and, you know, it's just, you know. I don't know. I've seen, I've seen the lamb one. Oh, yeah. I've seen. <laughs> that was pretty wacky. <laughs> not, not as much happened as you would want to in a, a human a lamb. lamb. person at the end. Who goes it's a little the, lamb person. Yeah. It's kind of cute. No, um, not, not as much happened throughout the course of the movie as I wanted it um, to. I'll just, it's the same. The horror's just there. It's just kind of hanging out below the surface. It never really comes to a head. They burned a guy in a bear suit minutes. in one of their movies. So come on. I'm going for the men movies okay. here. We're literally in men. Like, I did not know what oh, was man. going on or if this was even a movie there's, until the last 20 minutes and then it's like vaginal attack scenes in that last sequence <laughs> in the last sequence yeah, yeah no actually yeah. that threw me too i mean i did like that last week but that was one that yeah it threw me a bit too but hey yeah, i'm a fan yeah. i'm an a24 guy I, you know that it was it was a, a fascinating watch they're all fascinating watches but that's it's kind of the horror steeping there and then you know it explodes i think hereditary yeah, yeah. is still the biggest banger they've done where it's like stuff's happening all throughout that movie like that's i feel like that's the well, one midsummer that's always, does that well, as midsummer well. has sequent long sequences of less though and then and then kind of gets there in a big way at the end homeboy jumps off a cliff and then somebody else hits him with a really big axe he's old so um so it doesn't count. It just feels like it was expected, you know. I feel like that one's more evenly like we get that dose of horror, and plus it's got the crazy like suicide scene with the parents. Like we're getting oh, these shit. horrific. You know what's happening notes. right now? We're, we I ju- we just stumbled into a new episode that we're gonna have to do a full A twenty four ranking of all their movies on air. I think we should. I think it's gonna have a horror horror rankings of their horror okay, rankings. Okay, that's gonna of happen. A24. That's gonna happen okay. in the future. Okay. This was unplanned, but I'm putting it on the list because I'm putting it on the because it the might mean schedule. there's probably a couple I missed, like smaller ones that I might have missed over the years too. So that will actually yeah. Be fun. I need. To, I admittedly the reason I never discussed the lamb one on the show is I watched it really tired one night and was just frustrated because nothing was happening and then. And I was like, I don't even like this enough to discuss well, it. Well, people love that one. That was it. the interesting thing. I know. I, did, I didn't either. I because, uh, But also, if you've seen Little Otik, you've already seen a better version of that. Like, Little oh, Otik's my God. Little Otik is movie. amazing. Yeah. And it's amazing. a very similar kind of concept in some ways, you know, yeah. treatment. Anyway, we'll save that for our big A24 episode <laughs> that didn't exist until this moment. Uh, I've got one I'm really excited to talk about uh, that I stumbled on. A friend of mine had reviewed it on Letterboxd. I was like, oh, what is that? My favorite thing, I've seen a lot of, I know a lot of different parts of film culture uh, obviously spent my whole life interest in this shit this was a documentary about a part of horror and film i didn't actually know and this was why it was so exciting this is on tubi it's from a couple years ago it's called mail order murder the story of wave productions and wait what yeah and wave productions have been around for 30 years and you actually will have seen their listings and stuff way back in the day and not even if you didn't know what it was because they took ads and fango and stuff so this is the true story about an infamous new jersey based horror custom video company so it starts off being about sovs and i already know stuff about sovs and i was like oh this is cool it's about an sov filmmaker 
But as it goes, you realize, no, this is a, not just an SOV filmmaker. He started his company where you will write him your things you want to see in a movie and pay him and he will make the movie. So he's made hundreds of custom on demand movies that become a lot of them become like horror fetish films because somebody will be like, I love seeing somebody carry somebody like the creature from the black lagoon carries the woman or a lot of strangling videos, a lot of like a lot of, you know, toplessness. It, it never goes full porn, but it's like a lot of, of the, it was the thing that just blew my mind. There's a quicksand fetish where people want to see a woman drowning in quicksand. And so all these actresses to have a sequence, but they don't just shoot horror scenes that he refuses to do this. This guy, the the star of this thing, who's been making movies for 40, 40 years, he says it always has to be a full movie with a beginning, middle and end a storyline, you know, but, but it will culminate in a crazy quicksand. And what's so fun is the actresses who are great. Tina Krauss is one who I had heard of her in kind of cult circles. And they talk about like, yeah, you know, quicksand's my least favorite. Cause you get really dirty, but like, you know, they're going through all the, different ways they die uh it was utterly fascinating because outside of a little bit on srv and this is from a couple years ago it, i think it's a vinegar syndrome release and it's like just some people don't like talking head documentaries but i love to- film talking head documentaries when there's tons and tons of clips from the stuff especially yeah. if i've never seen and i haven't seen any of their stuff and i didn't even really know about this as a subsection of horror and i found it utterly i'm uh, just watching on tubi going oh yeah five minutes in i was like okay i need to know everything about this there's one with a mummy terrorizing a woman in like a in a basement and he looks like an old school mummy like truly dressed like old school but it's like people are excited by this this is like a turn-on film for someone out there who was who has paid money for him to make this movie um utterly fascinating because it's it, it there's a few other srv filmmakers interviewed in it and the our friends from uh, bleeding skull are in there uh talking about these movies you know with a lot of love for less for the product than the method and the fact that the guy's been doing it for 30 plus years um but what i loved is actually the actresses because the main guy doesn't actually talk about himself much at all the actresses are um if you watch when you see the clips you if you just saw a clip show you'd be like oh these guys must be utterly perverse these actresses must be are being tortured it looks truly dark these actresses have been doing it with the same person for like 20 plus years each clearly having an absolute ball and everyone basically sounds like they're super nice people almost like a family you know kind of business and the actress is talking about like you know the fetishes and one of them's particularly got an interesting attitude where she really is like i truly think the people who paid is to watch me strangled to death seem to be the nicest and least violent people even though they're acting out these weird fantasies she the way she's phrasing it she's like it seems healthier to me than the actual violent men i've met in my life it's just utterly fascinating um again it's a very specific type of film but if you're like me where you like i always want to know every weird corner of film fandom and this was you know and it's all horror so it's not like it's not hard this is all horror even the topless films always have a either a strangler a psychopath a monster you know it's very much in that but it's but it is that borderline of fetish and horror and one of the guys uh points out like all horror is fetish they're like everything's fetish like everything that you're drawn to back in time and time has a element of a fetishism to it and um and that's obviously true look at hitchcock films right they're 
a pure fetish. So it, it very really couldn't recommend this enough if you're like me. And I knew you would probably find this pretty interesting because I just added it to my order from um, Vinegar Syndrome. And a lot of chiller. Ch- I've never been to chiller theater. That's one of the ones I've never done. But that's where it's a good show. Yeah, this is where they go have been selling their stuff for years and where they're they're kind of famous there over the years, especially the actresses, um, the Scream Queens. And, and stuff. so just one more time, it's Mail Order Murder, the story of Wave productions uh and did you really say funny. this was streaming somewhere tubi, like i tubi. see the I saw it on tubi. oh tubi yeah okay free on tubi i watched it last night and um i don't know it just got me excited i you know i'd be curious to watch parts of it but it's also good because it's fulfilling like i didn't feel the need to necessarily watch their whole movies because i was seeing such good clips of it i'm like i get it <laughs> you know um but yeah you very know, interesting i have been so this is a total sidebar but i have been so shocked by how much cool stuff is arriving on tubi so much so um that i had always assumed that tubi was like you know two guys in a basement running some type of streaming platform it's fox i had no idea Mm. that that is like the big fox streaming service and apparently i heard um last week just like in a random meeting that they make a lot of money off of it um that like tubi has become so huge that it has like over 50 million active users at any given time Mm. um and that it has become like one of the biggest things for them and a lot of the like straight to video horror is handpicked by rupert murdoch he is just you hear that he is sitting there going i need some more sov let's i need i'm gonna call up vinegar syndrome and see what else we need on here the other thing that i have found so much of on tubi is um steven scarlatta wonderfully informs me anytime there is like a bonkers shark movie out that i need to watch i will get an email from him that says okay shark octopus ballerina mermaid or whatever it is that week it's currently on and 90% of the time it's Tubi and that's awesome. Hmm. So yeah, it's all of this just like really hard to find stuff. So go Tubi, um, not two guys in a basement. It's Fox, but whoever's curating their horror stuff there is doing a bang up job. I particularly so, like if yeah. you go to classics sometimes, I always want to screenshot it because when I see the word classics and there'll be like a couple of classics, but they'll be saying so left field and bonkers that on any other le- list would be the most left field movie. And here it is under classics on Tubi. I'm always impressed. Whoever runs classics, I see you and I respect you. Uh, very good. <laughs> okay. Well, um, now we're going to get into a double feature that we watched, um, which I kind of just randomly did. And then we found out that this double feature is playing at the new Beverly um, this month. So we yeah, figured, figured hey. it's like an ad for it because it's uh, the, every year the new Bev does a special screening on Quentin Tarantino, the owner of the theater's birthday. And this is his birthday screening. And the reason for this combination, I didn't actually know this at the time uh, in his book, in his new book um, of film criticism, he mentions this was his favorite double feature he had ever seen as a kid. So he saw these two together as a kid. So now they're Aww. recreating these two movies. Uh, one, a flat out classic, like just one of the best movies ever. And and the other, a really fun anthology. So I'm going to kick off with the first one, which I did not know was actually part of this screening. Um, The way and this is um the abominable Dr. Fives. The way that I happened on it is somebody left the Blu-ray for it in the trivia bin. Hmm. Um, so we host, um, as I'm sure we've mentioned on this show multiple times, um, there's this Dead Right Horror Trivia Night, massive pub trivia horror event that um, Jared Rivett and I host in L.A. every month. And usually what will happen is we have brand new DVDs. We have like 150 to 200 attendees every month. And we have brand new DVDs and Blu-rays that we give out as prizing. But a lot of our regular players will clean out their collections and they'll be like, well, I updated my crusty old copy of 
cannibal holocaust i'm gonna bring my old one in and donate to prizing and you guys can give it out as prizing so every month that we do trivia i come home with a weird assortment of dvds and blu-rays that people have donated um for us to use as prizing and i'm always like it's where i saw mothman last Mm -hmm. month where i was suddenly like well somebody left mothman in there i guess i'm gonna watch it this month and so um i love cleaning out the trivia bin because it's kind of just like a a weird thrift store seeing what arrives each month what people donate to us um so this month somebody left the abominable doctor fives in there and so i was like okay well it's valentine's day i'm gonna watch this so this is director robert foost Foost? i'm probably saying that wrong voiced voice that sounds correct um, who I the only other one of his things that I knew was the devil's reign. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, Bob Double Doctor Fives is awesome. Yeah. This one is so awesome. This is from 1971. I had seen this before, but it's definitely been a couple of years, and this is one of those that I like to revisit every few years. Um, the setup is that um in this Vincent Price plays a very renowned doctor, is killed in a car accident with his wife. And um, suddenly all these weird murders start happening, one with bugs and one with frogs and one where some guy is exsanguinated of all of his blood. And what they come to realize is that Vincent Price's character might not be dead. He might just be horribly maimed. And he is exacting out revenge on the 10 doctors he believes and medical staff that he believed were responsible for his wife's death that when she could have been saved if the hospital had actually done their job um when she came in after the car accident and because of their gross negligence she died and so he is now hunting down these 10 doctors and medical staff and the deaths that he is taking out on them follow the 10 plagues of Egypt, which is things like, you know, the river of blood, the frogs, the plague, the the bugs, um, the locusts, things like that. This it's just such a fun setup to begin with. Vincent Price is just chewing the scenery brilliantly through the whole thing. He's also um, it's got such weird production design where I think it's just like the best production design. Yeah. So good. It's it's so amazing. And just as a side hustle, he's in his, I guess, like his Vincent Pricey, I'm going to do my revenge lair. He has made the entire thing look like a jazz club from like the 1940s, including a clockwork jazz band that constantly plays tunes for him. And it is just this beautiful Art Nouveau like production design that's like he's going hanging on there. Out Danger Diabolic. They're just hanging out probably. That's it. Like with it the same designer. Like, Who's your designer? Who his, does your house interior he, design? Who made yeah. your lair? Because that's the yeah. other thing in Danger Diabolic. He lives in a cave, but it's like this beautiful cave. Yeah, um, That's like Vincent Price. You never see quite where his villain lair is, but man, the whoever the interior designer on that villain lair was, it's crazy. Um, My favorite is that this ultimately, it seems... It becomes saw before saw. So way before saw. Like there's literally like, you know, elements of I've implanted the key in your son's chest. You have 10 minutes to get it out and things like that is where it ends up. So you're literally feeling that kind of saw before saw with these these trials that people have to go through to keep pushing themselves um what the fuck kill scenes honestly one of my favorite endings in in movie history like what he does to himself at the end it's just so wild i have not seen 
vibe strikes back in a very long time. So I feel like that one's coming. I hadn't seen that one till like maybe last year because I'd always this is really one of my favorite like of that period of films. I just think Fives is a classic um, and one of the best revenge movies, I think. But uh, the second one isn't as good, but it's got some really cool set pieces and he's still really fun in it. It's just not quite directed quite as well, but he's on a boat for a lot of it and stuff. It's kind of wacky. Um, the uh, if I ever had a band, I always would have I wanted to call it Volnavia because that's the name of the beautiful Volnavia. the beautiful woman, his assistant who, you know, who's just utterly gorgeous, but he calls her Volnavia. And every time Volnavia. he says that, it makes me laugh. What a great word. Um, yeah. And the other film on this is an, anth- an anthology uh, that, again, like you, I hadn't seen this in a long time. I didn't really remember. I just remember I have the poster and it was a very striking poster. Uh, this is The House That Dripped Blood. And unlike a lot of uh, anthologies where the directors change multiple directors or different segments, you know, this has real cohesion. And what it does is every one of the stories has a major star. And and I think mm-hmm. that really elevates this because it's not like, oh, okay, it's got Cushing and Lee. It's got, no, the first story is Denham Elliott, who's a great actor, then Peter Cushing, then Christopher Lee, then John Pertwee and Ingrid Pitt. It's like all these, you know, great like actors. Um, and it's just fun. I, I like every one of these stories to an extent. It's a Scotland Yard investigator has uh, f- gone to the small town where a, an actor has disappeared, a movie actor, uh, and there's this house. And the real estate people, a uh, real estate guy is walking him through each previous tenant and the tragedy that went uh, happened to them from a novelist who creates this monstrous strangler character who ends up being real, uh, or at least you think so, uh, to the best or one of the best stories is the Peter Cushing one where they become obsessed with a wax figure of a woman who has got a head on a plate and uh, every man who looks at it starts to see his you know kind of projects himself into her story and of a lost love and it's actually a really mm-hmm. quite an year i think that could be a feature of its own that story it could. and i really like that one and, and i think that's like the standard and it's on the poster too um there's a uh, yeah, there's a witchcraft story with christopher lee and a, and a kind of bratty daughter uh and then she's not bratty she's a, yeah she's a witch she's not bratty but she's a witch I, but she's not bratty i, I mean christopher, christopher lee is per- being <laughs> oh he's being all like overpowering dad who's like you can't have toys no friends for you get back to your room child no wonder she goes like doll no wonder she goes like all cray at the end team chrisley um and (laughs) burn the toys uh and then the last one is just super fun and silly but i i really do like it's john pertwee who uh, i grew up on on a show in new zealand called wurzel gummage which was a very british very british show that that is a very british title i don't think i made it here he was kind of like the scarecrow character Mm. it's it's just a it was a big show and he was the star he's the dad of sean pertwee who is an actor from a lot of stuff you would have seen um anyway he plays this he i think he's kind of meant to be playing one of the vincent price type guys uh arrogant film actor who uh is in hundreds of horror movies and thinks he's better than everyone else they even take a cheap shot at christopher lee in because they're like not like those new draculas they're not believable at all and it's about a cloak that he buys this cloak from that could be actually supernatural and when he puts it on he starts becoming a vampire and i I think that's a really cool fun storyline um but anyway it's it's a really fun um a fun anthology and this will be uh, we don't usually do ads for the new bev here because that's what my whole other shows but this is gonna i think a banger of a horror double so it's not till middle of march i believe Mm -hmm. um so plenty of time if you live in anywhere near la 
You know, I think my favorite thing about this movie, and I will say, like, I loved the twist in the first story. Like, there's so much to love about this one. Um, But my favorite thing was the final moment when um, the character from the wraparound, the wraparound is two police detectives sitting around talking about all these crimes that have been committed at this house and saying it's not the people, it's the house. Um, There's something about the house that curses them. And then in the final wall break, like in the final, final moments of the film, one of the cops is walking up to the house and he turns and looks at the camera and there's like this wild fourth wall break where he's like did you pick up what all the four stories have in common and then he literally explains it to you um (laughs) which i was like that is like a baller move that you just don't do but honestly elric i have to say the scariest thing that i have seen this entire week just happened because i just googled wurzel gummage Uh because i was curious what the fuck is this shit? Oh my god! It was a weird. It was You're like just... a kids show that I grew up on. I don't even remember what what he did. Like I don't remember. I mean, I know what the character was, but I couldn't tell you for the life of me. All these years later, have you looked at this recently? How do you not have constant nightmares over this? Uh, I mean, I, I, I a lot of stuff I grew up with, like the goodies, and I feel like there's a lot of stuff that what should give me nightmares. Yeah, he's a scarecrow. Like one of. The... And then a character called Turniphead pops up. Oh, my God. This is the scariest shit I've seen all week. Yeah, it, what it, it was pretty stuff? weird. But that's the thing about when you're a kid, you have nothing to compare stuff to. So you're watching this really strange stuff. Oh, was it? Wait, there's Kiwis in it. Was it a New Zealand show? Oh, my God. New Zealand British television series. Weird. I just I assumed it was hand? I assumed it was uh, only British all these years. Here, here I was. What? Oh my God, this guy's like made of wood and has really long twisted fingers. And Elric, I can't handle this. This is like some next level kinder trauma. Actually, I'm changing my this- mind. Volvania is not going to be my band. Wurzel Gummage. That's definitely the band. <laughs> Death this metal, is Wurzel so Gummage. weird. Okay, I'm going to need somebody to explain this to me. This looks like um this. there used to be this like Scandinavian... um. Oh gosh, now I can't even remember it. There was a weird movie that I used to watch called Dunderklumpen, um, that I assume was like a Scandinavian film, just going by the name. Uh-huh. Now I have to Google Dunderklumpen. Um, that looks to be in this same range where it's people with a bunch of crap stuck to their face, but it was really horrifying. Now I have to Google that. Um, but thus is our kinder trauma for the morning. Dunderklumpen. Oh, okay. And actually, I didn't... I, it is funny that I mentioned that. Um, and I feel like such an idiot now that John Pertwee, the guy in the last storyline, I'm, I'm like, he's Wurzel Gummidge. Like, I'm saying that like that means anything to most people. Uh, also, he is the second most famous Doctor Who of all time. I forgot. That's what I grew up. <laughs> outside of the guy outside of the guy with the brown hair, he's the, he's the other main Doctor Who that I grew up. Okay. So this makes sense now because I had no idea what the fuck Wurzel Gummidge yeah. is. But while I was watching this literally dave walks through the background of the living room and goes oh the third doctor's in this yeah. and then he just keeps on going and i was like oh the third yeah, yeah, doctor yeah. i haven't Much, seen that and he was one of the best ones for sure and his son is the one in dog soldiers and movies like that sean pertwee he's really good um but but anyway yes so look up Warzo gummage uh it might be the deep cut of the year it is horrifying enjoy <laughs> okay well with that let's bring on our guest for tonight All right. So joining us again for the first time in a couple of years, I think, uh, a second time in a couple of years is one of our guests. I believe last time you're on, I said you could be an official third co-host because you're such a natural at the horror love. And this is uh, writer Stephen Graham Jones. Welcome back. 
Welcome Thanks back, man. It is good Thank to you. see you again in your Friday the 13th hat sitting in Stu from Scream's house, um, which is <laughs> yeah. a schnazzy uh, backdrop. But I never realized how yeah. fancy Stu's house is until I see you uh, kind of sitting in the backdrop of it. No, yeah, Stu grew up pretty privileged. Um, yeah, pr- he's got pr- a- pr- Yeah, he thinks he can just like slice through the graduating class and not have any consequences, you know? <laughs> yeah, a lot of mahogany <laughs> and wainscoting yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. But no, thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to be back. Yeah, we're catching you again at, at the tail of a press tour, is that right? Like book That's tour, right, yeah. yeah. I'm just up. Yeah, two weeks on the road, different bookstore every night, which you think that's fun, but man, it's like it's like getting, getting to the room at one in the morning and then flying out at four in the morning you know at least they're flying you i want i I always um assume that like it's like every single time somebody says tour i immediately picture like the van from green room um so flights are at least nice yeah no it was it's nice it's it's really neat to to like to like leave pens behind because i signed so many books that i've I've actually watched i watched the cartridge go down and down it's kind of cool you know i saw one of your images where you had an injury it looked like you had rsi or something on your hand oh yeah (laughs) from two minutes it must be like we'll get into like obviously making a sequel to a book that we all Mm love um my heart is a chainsaw and a lot of people love but is it did you find doing this tour is it different hitting the road with a character that people already know and they already beloved so they're coming back for the new installment it was different. I didn't have to sell them on the character of the world because they're already familiar with it from my heart as a chainsaw. And every stop I, I went to, there were people wearing those Jay Daniels is my final girl t-shirts, which so was cool, really cool. Yeah. Too. Nice. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, So when you go, do you read like little portions of the book out loud? Do you like get to do snippets or is it just signings? Um, I show up at the, whatever it's a you know, variety of venues, you know, different like community centers or churches or bars you read this in a church that's kind of amazing <laughs> yeah i know but um but i think only once in all the stuff did i actually read a little snippet of it most places i just answer questions like i talk to the moderator or the the conversation person for a while and then we take questions from the crowd and it goes and goes and then i sign until everybody's gone at what point of the first uh when when we saw you last we had obviously heard mm-hmm. about the uh you already mm-hmm. had the idea by then but like when did the idea for a sequel of this with this character come to you was it while you're still writing the first book or was it after it i had written the first book and it was in the can and the editor and i were revising it and at the very very end of our process he tells me hey what if everybody wasn't dead and i said yeah i've been writing this book a long time everybody dies they're built to die and so i argued with him for like you know probably two weeks and he doesn't argue he doesn't tell me do this or or else he's not that kind of editor he just like plants the idea and lets it grow in my head and Sure enough, after about two weeks, I was like, I'm just going to prove him wrong. And so to prove him wrong, I opened up a side file and I wrote an ending where not everybody died. And it worked amazingly. He was 100 percent right. So it's wonderful to work with smart people. You know, that's and, like a film editor. They they plant something in your yeah. brain, even though you know, they know yeah. not to argue. They just leave it there mm-hmm. until it drives you crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like love parents. the phrase yeah. built mm-hmm. to die. I feel like that needs to be the title <laughs> of the next book. So that, save that, that somewhere. Yeah, that would be fun. But um, but then when the agent and editor came to me after My Heart is a Chainsaw was already in production, they said, so what's the next book? And I said, I'm going to do the next Chainsaw book. And they said, it's a trilogy. And I said, yeah, it's been a trilogy all along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now we know it's a trilogy. So yeah, yeah there's uh, more uh, coming. There's yeah. more coming. Um, mm-hmm. So this is four years after all the events that we had mm-hmm. Prior, how do you kind of get your head around like what has happened over the last four years and how to re-enter the world? 
Well, the trick is, since I do want this to be a slasher set in some version of the real world, the, 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 there's been fallout from the first installment from a Hunters of Chainsaw. So there's people with lingering injuries, there's people with um, persistent legal troubles, and the whole community of Proof Rock Idaho is kind of suffering from the trauma of what went down four years ago. They're always looking to the water for something else to come kill them. And, but um, the wonderful thing about writing a sequel, which I never knew until I did it, was that as a writer, I just kind of like parachute down into a pre-built place and I can just hit the ground running and drop bodies every few pages. And Chainsaw, I had to like build this and introduce that. But man, don't fear the Reaper. I could just boom, boom, boom. It was really nice. I just read your inside cover flap, which says 36 hours and 20 bodies yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, some yeah. fucking high body count, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it's really more like 34, but 20 sounds good. <laughs> I love that you doubted that you could do a sequel given all your love of slasher movies where everyone always dies and then the person comes back yeah. in the next one. It's, you know, yeah, you, gotta, yeah. you had to get meta. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. So, yeah. Knowing um, that you can drop into the middle of mm. this world, and this fascinates me now that I've been mm. writing books, how long did it take you to kind of get this one to the point where you were ready to show it to somebody? 10 weeks. It was supposed to take eight weeks, but... um. Then I had to do some script work for two weeks, which took some time away from Don't Fear the Reaper. So it took 10 weeks and it was done. I mean, I, I went back and did a little bit of revising, but this is one of those ones that I got lucky with the first time through, I think. Again, this is such like an eggheady writer question. How many mm -hmm. hours do you write a day? Like how many do you have in you before you're like, oh, my brain's dead? Yeah. The, those 10 weeks that I wrote, Don't Fear the Reaper, I was teaching a grad course, an undergrad course, and I was also juggling a low residency course, so a quarter, so that's three classes, and um, and working on different film and TV projects. So I was probably able to give this about a maximum, like on a wonderful, wonderful, perfect day, three and a half hours mm -hmm. a day, maybe. Okay, because that's, and again, I'm new to the writing, mm -hmm. more kind of book world, but that's where I've been finding myself maxing out is if I yeah. start at 8 a.m. by like 11, I'm like, I can't think anymore. Like I yeah. have to yeah. go walk or do something and I can't come back to it until the next morning. It's weird. Mm -hmm. I'm not used to that. Like, it's Yeah, that, 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 that's how it's been for me too. I figured that out. Probably about 20 years ago, I used to do the three-day novel contest, which I, when I first started doing it, I thought it's just about staying awake for 72 hours mm -hmm. and writing. I did that, and I, I didn't produce a good novel. So the next time through, I altered my method, and I made a playlist that I think was 86 minutes long, and I would only write as long as that playlist mm -hmm. lasted. And then I would go shoot baskets or walk down a grocery store aisle or something, and I'd come back in 45 minutes, two hours, and do another hour and a half session. And that kind of, I don't know if that conditioned me or if it was me discovering. Either way, the result is that I'm only good for about an hour and a half at a time at the keyboard. I can I can write for 10 or 12 hours, no problem. But after an hour and a half, I pretty much have to throw everything away and dial back to those 90 minutes and start over. Yeah. I have never been one for meditation before, but that has mm -hmm. become like my, if I do three hours and then I do like... Mm -hmm. A 20 minute meditation, I might get another like hour yes. out of it. It's weird. Yeah, like it yeah. has to be like a mental reset. I was, that's a total yeah. egg heady thing. I, I apologize. That's not yeah. cool, like pressy stuff. Um, well, I was curious. You, no, but, oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, it, I was going to yeah. say what's important for me to do, to do that reset, like you're talking about, is to do something with my hands, with my body, with not with my, not with my head. Yeah. You know, that helps so much. Oh my God. I need to try that. Like I need to sleep. Like that's it. Like midday naps have become a mm. thing that they weren't mm. before. And now I'm like, I need to take mm. my new nap. And it's only for like 20 minutes, but I, it's <laughs> like, I have to like charge down and then come back. So uh, yeah, I, I wanted to yeah. ask you about, cause you just mentioned you kind of slipped it in there writing for the screen. Mm -hmm. 
And I yeah. wanted to ask the difference, because like, a lot of us have only written that for that kind of writing, and some people uh-huh. have done mix. But uh-huh. to me, when I think about the difference, I think about, especially with your novels, I'm like, okay, this is writing inside a character, a novel. You're inside. Uh-huh. You are the character, right? And I feel like film uh-huh. writing, it's it's like the flip. A lot of the time, you're outside the character uh-huh. watching them do things. I mean, you're still trying to write uh-huh. a psychology. But for you, uh-huh. what was uh-huh. that? what is that transition like? Did you find that easy? Is it a... Do you struggle with that uh, mode, or how do you find it? You know, yeah, it's it's definitely a struggle. The screenplay format and just like the mode of cinema is a completely mm-hmm. foreign format. I mean, y'all y'all know a lot better than I do. You have to externalize the internal. You have to dramatize things to get exposition on the in front of the viewer's eyes and all that. But you know, tell the truth. One project I was working on, I was reading some stuff the director had written, and he was talking about um, how we. And he was, he's, he was, who, what's his name? David Slade, I guess. He's so much more talented than I will ever be, I think. And he was talking about how where the camera looks gives you the subtext or gives you what's going on in the character's head, you know? And, and at one level, I knew that, but I didn't know it in a get my fingers in it kind of level. Like I know that what Dean Cundy says of John Carpenter when they were talking about doing Halloween, that um, he realized early on that John Carpenter isn't using the camera to record the story. He's using this camera to tell a story, which is mm-hmm. he's all the way different, you know? And I'm, um, and I think directors like y'all um, understand that stuff in a way that um, prose writers don't, because we have different um, access points into the story and we can put a foot pump on different parts and blow it up. And, but um, I, I like it a lot. I, I think a lot of fiction writers, when they come to screenwriting, um, the format is easy, you know, just the tabs and all the, all that junk. And that's, that's not what it's about. It's, 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 it's about staging things such that it moves in beats like regular beats, like a dramatist would do it. And, and that's something that tell you the truth, we fiction writers, I don't know if we'll ever get a total handle on, we can fake it and we can be rewritten such that it looks like we knew it from the first place, but we probably didn't. Yeah. I mean, it shows what I... Stephen King, cause he's a great novelist and he's, mm. you know, he's written a couple okay movies, but it never seemed to be, mm. it never seems to translate quite so well. For him, and, yeah. and it doesn't need to. But I think with you, you're such a movie fan. When we talk mm-hmm. cinema, like movies, I feel like you do have a great handle. So I bet in the long run, it won't be that hard. I bet you will find that gear, you know, shift. Maybe, yeah. maybe. And, and, um, yeah. When I read a novel, I still find, I mean, in the good ones, that it is mm-hmm. that same level of detail to what you're pointing the camera at because it's what mm-hmm. writers choose to explain. Like yeah. if you're spending a page describing the shade of lipstick, that becomes what you'd point the camera at. That becomes no. the central yeah. focus. And so it's still there. It's just oh. a different type of world yeah. building in the descriptors. No, you're totally right. Like um, an example would be like Ernest Hemingway, which I'm I'm no I'm not a Hemingway fan, but I do respect the uh, talent he had. Um, like so one one writer will walk into a bar in a story and explain the foggy mirror, the bottles, the smoke, the wood paneling, the brass rail in the bar, and all that stuff, and it'll be wonderful. You can picture whatever way you move your head, you can understand what's going on. Hemingway will walk into a bar. And he'll just he'll talk about an ashtray burning in a cigarette, and that little ash that little cigarette in the ashtray evokes the whole setting. You don't have to explain the rest of it, you yeah. know. And I think and I think that's what good directors can do. They can find that cigarette in a scene and make it stand in for everything, and the story can move along at such a better clip. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's really interesting. And, and and I guess the other question, without knowing what you've been writing, uh, adapting the difference of um, because again, add another layer to it, right? Not just writing screenplays. I don't know if you're adapting your own work when you're writing screenplays, mm-hmm. or if you're writing original mm-hmm. screenplays. But mm. that also, I can, I can only imagine having written a novel where I'm totally inside the characters and then have to mm. shift my focus to put that. I, I don't know how many times that's been done well by the actual novelist. I'd have to, you know, be interesting mm. to look it up. Yeah. But is, yeah. have you had, have you experienced both sides of that yet or? 
I have, yeah. I've done it both ways. I've adapted other people's work. I've done original work, and I have tried to adapt my own work. And um, it's all it's all difficult. I think the advantage I have when adapting my own work is I know the lope of the character's diction already, yeah. so I don't have to. I can distinguish them simply by how they speak, and I know what they're going to say, which helps a lot. Which doesn't mean that I'm good at the rest of it, yeah. but I, like I think it. the stuff that that is under the character name, that little bitty bit, I think I can do that all right. You yeah. Know? And, and you know the themes inside out. Like sometimes that can be the first thing. Yeah. The, the hard part I could imagine is the killing. Like we're always killing our darlings in every medium, especially yeah. with film. I, yeah. But with I could only imagine that's a massive one when you're adapting a book mm-hmm. to a screenplay because you're losing so much of the inner life. Mm-hmm. You know, you you are. But I mean, yep. I found that when I adapt my own work, I'm really probably more brutal than I am when I'm adapting someone else's work. I can um, believe that because you become yeah. so it's, I always say um, mm-hmm. I can handle reading my own work to a degree, but anytime mm-hmm. I'm thinking about changing, it becomes like yeah. listening to the sound of your own voice. Like I can't listen to myself on these podcasts. Yeah. Albert can, I have never actually listened to one of our shows the entire way through. Uh, I probably I don't, should, I, don't but... I don't like to, don't get me wrong. I, I've listened to shows, but I never <laughs> try to. I will mm-hmm. micro pick the shit out of every weird vocal quirk I have. And it's the same mm-hmm. thing that happens if I reread my writing too much. Like I can do it when I'm drafting, but then after mm-hmm. it's out into the world, I will sit there and beat myself up because I phrase something stupid. Um, and it yeah. got published like that. So yeah, yeah. it's, yeah, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. It is. <laughs> you know what, what's, what's neat these last few years, um, I'm able to dial up the audiobook of my novels, which is, it's neat to me to listen to them because I have memories of a line that should be somewhere in this paragraph, but I don't know where that line is going to come. And so I get a different kind of tension out of the listen because I'm, I'm waiting. I'm like paranoid that somebody deleted it on the way or that I misplaced it or something. And I'm, it's, it's really fun. I I've never listened to an audiobook, So I'm going to ask. Are you serious? Never, never. And I, I, I do it constantly. Yeah, That's I literally, I still read. I don't know. When I read, I read, but, but I, I should. And I'm curious are any of yours do are any of them you think that experience of the audiobook version of something is yeah. even as good or better for any reason have you had that with anything yeah i do like the the one that i think might be um on maybe better than the novel is zombie bake off it's okay. a it's a novel about soccer moms versus zombie wrestlers basically uh-huh. and there's and there's a lot of donuts in there too uh-huh. but um they they found a uh a voice actor who has kind of a wrestler delivery. And I think that that's something that I probably could have done it on the page with syntax and things like that, but I didn't do it anyways. And I don't, I don't regret not having done it. I think the novel works as it is, but listening to it to me is a completely different experience than reading that novel. It just, do yeah. they let you pick who does like, do you get to great gauge yeah. the person's voice? That is I do. amazing. Th- these last few books I do, like on Don't Fear the Reaper, I was able to bring in a friend to be Dark Mail South, which oh, was really cool. cool. Yeah. 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 Have you ever wanted to do like one of those roles yourself? I read the acknowledgments okay. in, yeah. in my, in my, in you my know, good Indians chainsaw and Don't Fear the Reaper. Um, you know what I found from being in the studio is that voice acting is really hard, yeah. and that I'm a really I'm a really terrible speaker. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I, I don't yeah. I don't like I, mem- I remember Terry Gilliam saying that when Brad Pitt was on Twelve Monkeys, they realized this guy doesn't know how to breathe, and and evidently there's a way actors breathe that matters. I have no idea what that is, and they had to teach him how to breathe. And I think I, being just a stupid novelist and professor, I don't know how to breathe or talking to a mic right like this stuff i'm drinking it looks like it looks like beer but it's you can't see it but it's uh, apple juice because when i was in the studio in that little sound booth they had me read the acknowledgments and their voice directing me and everything saying you're coming in hot and i'm like i don't know how to i don't know how to not do that and i'm and they played it back and they said well it's good but we're getting a lot of mouth noises and 
I said, I said, well, you know, I got a mouth. That's probably going to be a continuing issue. Um, <laughs> but they, and so they had the technician um, bring me apple juice. And he said, apple juice changes the pH of your mouth and makes you not make mouth noises. So that's why I'm drinking it right oh, now. So weird. I won't be all wow. smack, smacking. Yeah. No, that is that is the reason I don't listen to the podcast is I will destroy myself thinking about every time <laughs> I even remotely make some weird click with my mouth. But the That's thing what that I'm there for, to remind you. Just to remind me, you're doing that weird thing <laughs> yeah. again, Becca. The thing that always impresses me about the actors that do those audiobooks, mm-hmm. at least most of the ones that I listen to, is they do voices, but they don't mm-hmm. annoy me. Like as soon as I'm like they do yeah. voices, I'm immediately like, that sounds silly. But like yeah. I'm in the middle of I bought the book and then didn't have time mm-hmm. to read it. So then I buy mm-hmm. the audiobook. So cool. Yeah. Um Pant- yeah. uh, Ember, you just got me to buy Good Girls Girl, Good Girls Guide to Murder twice. Nice. Um, so yeah, but with this, like all mm. of the different characters, mm. it's the same person reading it, mm. but mm. they do voices so that you can understand who's talking, and it somehow mm. works and is effective. And even mm. some of like I read or the last one I listened to over the holidays, Dead Silence, which I loved. Mm. Um, you know, it sounds like it would be silly, but even in the horror scenes, yeah. it somehow totally works. So I yeah, agree. that's. That's what I'm always really impressed by is it it's not silly. It somehow yeah. works. And you know, it's, it's kind of funny because if you go to a reading of a, a writer reading from their book and they read it and they do voices, then you're like embarrassed for them. You know, you're like, I don't want to be here. Can I please repress this? Um, but if when you hear it through your ears without a visual, then it, it it's like you're able to buy the illusion in a different and better way. Mm-hmm. And um, and what one thing, though, about the actor, the voice actor is nailed to to this to differentiate the characters with their different inflections and tones and all that stuff is that um, that makes dialogue tags less necessary. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think a lot of writers these days are starting to write, they're not writing for audiobooks, but they listen to a lot of audiobooks and they understand that the voice actors can bring this dialogue to life. And so they're going light on dialogue tags. And I think like in 20 years, when we look back at these last like three years and it'll probably go for a few more years, we're going to see that this is when dialogue tags started to step back and be a lot more spaced out. Mm. It it just sounds like a different, it's weird that I've never done it. I I don't know why, but it is a different medium in my brain because if I'm reading a book, it's I, and I'm positioned with the person. So if I'm listening, I can't have that same, that's a different experience. Not necessarily long, it's more performative, I guess, but. I swear, mm-hmm. once you're in, you're in. Um, the very yeah, first yeah. one that I ever did as an audiobook was the Twisted Ones a couple of mm-hmm. years ago. And Kingfisher, it was during, yeah. yeah, Kingfisher. It was like mm-hmm. top of the pandemic. And I listened to it while mm-hmm. I was like doing dishes and loved it. And mm-hmm. then I would love to say that I'm sitting down reading all the time, but most mm-hmm. books now I'm absorbing through that because I have like an hour and a half commute each way to, to yeah. USC. And so, no, I'll, sure. yeah, I'll go through a book every two weeks that way. Or if you got to yeah, so try it, it will change. All right, I get it. Well, somebody was just telling me about heat to the book that they said that yeah. the the audiobook of that is like the guy a guy has like a movie trailer voice apparently and apparently it's really good so i'm, I'm kind of curious about that but um I, I wanted to ask you something we never talked about on yeah. the last well i don't think this came up but uh true the influence of true crime and especially in this case you know a serial killer what what uh-huh. was the impact like was that something i don't recall us talking because we talked about slashers but yeah. but true crime because yeah. for me I, I got a criminology degree at school because i was so into uh-huh. that stuff and only towards the end of that did i realize i don't want to do that for a living you know dealing with people uh-huh. like this um but what was uh-huh. the impact and of you understanding like the true crime in the world how it impacted your imagination and and of course everyone's yeah. fascination with serial killers yeah, I think that the true crime like fan base, such a weird thing to say, has come on really strong during the pandemic. And oh I'm, God, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not completely sure why that is, but um, 
I know that it makes me uncomfortable. You know, like when I watch or read true crime, like if I'm reading a true crime book, there'll be a place in the middle, usually with like the photos, like six pages of photos, mm -hmm. bodies and sheets and stuff. And I always feel like I'm being disrespectful. Like if I were sitting by the the spouse, the brother of, mm -hmm. of that dead person, if they were sitting on the couch beside me, I would angle the book away from them because I, I don't want to be like that kind of voyeur, yeah. you know? And I'm, yeah. and true crime creeps me, it creeps me out because of what the content, but it creeps me out just because of the dynamic too. And I've tried to listen to true crime podcasts and I mean, they're interesting, but they are kind of intense that I don't think, um, I don't know, maybe I don't handle it well. I don't know. It, it's, a, it's, yeah. I, 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 well, I feel like I identify too much with the people in it and I, I'm, I'm terribly superstitious about things. And I'm like, am I by um, partaking of this, inviting it to happen to me? You know? No, I think it no, gets worse I, as you get older too. Like, cause as a yeah, 20 year old, yeah, I was so into yeah. that. Now I'm like, wait, yeah. I'm closer to the victims or my kids are going to be, you yeah. know? And I think you just start yeah. to see the darkness, you know, that's in the everyday in yeah. real life. Whereas when you're younger, but it has been, they, the statistics are so interesting because it is like overwhelmingly a female audience for especially true crime mm -hmm. podcasts. It's something like really skewed. Mm -hmm. It's like, a, I don't know if it's mm -hmm. a 70, 30 kind of split. And I'm like, it's so, yeah. I, that's obviously I can't account for that, but I do find it fascinating. And mm -hmm. mine's different. Like I can watch mm -hmm. Dateline. I love Dateline. Like I will watch Dateline over and over. Mm -hmm. Anything like forensics files, stuff like that. I love mm -hmm. that. If it's about a serial killer, that is where I have to step out. If it is some tawdry tale of boyfriend kills husband, kills wife. Oh my mm -hmm. God. It's yeah. like a lover's quadruplicate, whatever it is. I'm there. Mm -hmm. As soon as it is, it is like the story of Dahmer or the story of some other serial mm -hmm. killer. I can't do it. Like that is just, it's where yeah. my horror brain becomes real and I can't function. Yeah. yeah so, I, I worry with, with that kind of stuff. I worry is, is my like investment, like I'm paying for advertising dollars or a streaming service or whatever to watch this documentary. Is that like prepaying for the next person to do their atrocities, you know? And I, I worry about that dynamic. Well, the news has definitely yeah. done a good job. Well, not a good job. <laughs> news has never done, but but I have noticed in the last couple, like let's say big mass shootings, how they yeah. are trying their best to stray away from the identity, talking about the killer mm -hmm. and talking more about yeah. the victims. And obviously, that's that makes a lot of sense. With serial killers, it's, it's really hard to do that because they are um, they're not they're the opposite of a, a superhero, but in but similar because of how mm -hmm. they stand out, right? They're the inverse, right? right? Uh, like yeah. a supervillain, but because they seem like such anomalies to us culturally. Mm -hmm. And obviously yeah. there's a period where, you know, there it seems like at least in um, the media, there was a lot, right? A lot of them. I, yeah. I feel like I can't, yeah. I feel like BTK, BTK is the last time I even heard somebody talking yeah. about a contemporary yeah. killer. So it makes you go, is it because they're harder to, I mean, they should be even easier to track now, right? Uh, and you'd think people mm -hmm. would be using the internet as their means of expression. Mm -hmm. But I haven't heard much. So I don't yeah. know if there's anything to that. But for you, for the inspiration for mm -hmm. your writing, did you, were, were, how much from the true life kind of that you research on circles or was it mostly coming from the imagination itself? From the no, slasher world. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, there was, I did do a lot of research on serial killers, not for this book, yeah. for a different book yeah. in 2001 or 2002, a publisher, you know, hired me to do a serial killer novel, serial killer novel. So I went to the library and got just a stack of books on serial killers, burned through them all. And I got to this, I saved this big one for last. It was the Encyclopedia of Serial Killers by Harold Schechter, I mm -hmm. think it's called. And seen that one, yeah. big old hardback, like an 80 book book. And so I sat down in my easy chair and I 
put it, plopped it down in my lap and I opened it and all these like small black hairs fell into my lap and I turned it and every single page had hairs in it. And I realized that I was probably being framed for something. You oh, know, yeah, so I, I took it to a flat place and I read, I read the whole book, but I turned the pages so carefully and kept all the hairs in it as best I could and turned it back into the library. So oh, I guess. Wow. Somebody else. Oh my God. That's creepy. For me, I think yeah, there's always weird. somebody you come across who, who's too, like, I think there's a lot, it's easy, especially before there's lots of biopics on Ted Bundy, very easy to get not enamored. That's the wrong word, but like, you're totally fascinated because he had, because of the mask of sanity the fact that he worked yeah. with this woman who was a crime novelist who had no clue oh there's so many interesting parts of that story yeah. but for me i i remember it was reading you're reading all these books and it's easy to maybe depersonalize as you read this stuff yeah. because it seems like sensational yeah. and i got to albert fish and mm-hmm. when i read this tiny account of what he had done it made me feel so physically ill that I was like, not no longer. I don't think I was ever really interested in that stuff anymore. Yeah, like like he what he did to this family and 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 stuff. You're just yeah. like, oh, that's I, yeah. it. Kind of, and I think that's healthy. I think you know it makes sense yeah. to have fascination, yeah. but at a certain point, I think, yeah. and I love it when art, like books or film, goes so far in terms of the violence or whatever to put you off the yeah. thing versus just making yeah. it look glossy mm-hmm. and fun. That's a to me yeah. a plus, and not enough people yeah. go there, you know. I think I think it is too. I totally agree. And you know, talking about this true crime surge we've had the last few years, I wonder if in a world of seemingly random violence that you know, you start to think you can inoculate yourself if you confront the random violence, the serial killers out there, the, the all the all the bad things that happen. So if you regularly listen to these podcasts, maybe that you have the presumption that gives you a shield mm-hmm. or a defense or something. I would say that that's a very apt theory because I've always mm-hmm. questioned that about horror. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in truth, I'm scared of everything, <laughs> everything. Yeah. And yeah. yet somehow I watch horror movies constantly. And so I've yeah. always had the yeah. theory that I am so scared of someone breaking in that I'm going to watch every single possible example of that mm-hmm. happening. So I know how to handle mm-hmm. it and things like that, that that's part of why I like horror so much is it's like extra yeah. knowledge. I feel like it could be the same for true crime. Like that it I is think so. kind of a, a yeah. weird kind of not embracement of it, but, uh, you know, uh, odd yeah. shield that you're putting up for it. I agree. You know, about 10 or 12 years ago around Denver and Boulder, I was part of a zombie defense team and we were, there was four of us and we went around to high schools and community centers and we, and we did like, you know, here's how you fight off a zombie. So we'd get somebody from the audience to be a zombie, you know, just kind of interactive and fun. And two of the guys were like high level martial artists. So they had all these techniques for dealing with zombies. And I was the academic. And so I just said stuff. I wasn't <laughs> nearly as fun. And I'm, but th- then at the end of this big presentation, like 40, 45 minutes, we would explain to them that these are the tactics for how to defend yourself against a zombie. But they also work wonderful in a parking garage at 3 a.m. If somebody's mm-hmm. trying to get on you, you know, it's yeah. the same, same set of tactics, like you're saying, Becca, you know? Yeah. Except Becca's not scared <laughs> of bugs. See, like bug horror, you're fine with that stuff. I'm like, I, I, if I saw a giant spider, I'd be, I'd just die instantly. I would, I couldn't oh, <laughs> find spiders. Yeah, oh. yeah, I would. Giant spiders, no thanks. Man, it's the, the little spiders are the ones that scare me because they didn't have to grow big and aggressive because they have poison that's really going to hurt you. But the, you know? the little spot, the scar yeah. on my face is from a brown yeah. recluse. They're tiny. Wow. Yeah, my giant yeah. tarantula doesn't scare me. Actually, this, I <laughs> kid you not, this um past Sunday, my kids and I, we went to a thrift shop in Pasadena mm. and they found these really cool Halloween masks, these like weird bone looking bird shaped Halloween masks. Mm-hmm. And they clearly had been used in haunted houses before they were with a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. And we're driving home 
And I'm sitting in the front seat driving and my kids are in the back and they're playing with the masks. And then all of a sudden Marnie goes, Strummer, a roach just fell off your mask. And I swear wow. to God, I almost swerved and it was a plastic roach. <laughs> but she didn't say that. And I don't think she realized that it was just Strummer, roach just fell off your mask. Oh, and man. I swear to God, I almost swerved the whole car on the oh, 134 and killed us all because oh, I wow. thought a live roach had crawled out of these fucking Halloween masks wow. and was now somewhere in my car. It was a plastic oh, roach, wow. um, but still horrifying. Yeah. And I'm usually yeah. cool with bugs, but the thought of one in my yeah. car and I was like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Isn't there, I think it's a movie, it could be a novel where um, a police officer is hypothesizing that many of the wrecks that they find along the interstate that they're they're just that they ascribe to driver error is really that there is a bee in the car or a roach in the car and those things don't show up after the wreck you know yeah they get the (laughs) bug gets to crawl inside you and feed your innards (laughs) yeah yeah my high that is so i've never heard Mm -hmm. that theory but my high school boyfriend (laughs) legit flipped his car because a hornet got in legit and yeah off the road so um yeah that's wild but you know, you know, t- talking roaches. One, this is, a, I guess, it's kind of got a long setup. One of my brothers, he was always afraid people were looking at his crotch. He was always telling me they're looking at my crotch, and I always tell him they're not. Nobody is interested, you know. But, and so he and I are at a he and I are at a college football game, and we have stands at the very uh, seats in the very top. And so we're we're trekking all the way up the long stairs. It's taken like four or five minutes, and he keeps saying over my shoulder, "They're looking at my crotch," and I kept saying, "You're being stupid. Quit talking to me." And we get to the top and I turn around and I'm like, dude, look at your crotch. And he had a giant, a giant albino palmetto bug right on his fly. Oh God, y'all must have been in Florida. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. And it was it like it like confirmed all of his fears. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have quite the palmetto bugs out here in LA, but we had them that size when I was in New York, but they called them water yeah. bugs. Like that makes it better. It's not yeah. a roach, it's a water bug. It's the same fucking yeah. They're still yeah, roaches, yeah. but um, yeah. anyways, so I, before we shift to our topic for the night, I want to mm-hmm. ask, like, how do you, um, you know, kind of organize your ideas for writing? Like, how do you decide this would make a good novel versus I'm just going to add this to the file of potential ideas that are two lines that I have over here? Like, how do you figure out which one is worth the yeah. eight weeks that it's going to take you to kind of, you know, push it towards a novel? Um. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I don't have a hard and fast, always true answer. I have something that works more often than not. Um, For a long time, I kept spiral notebooks, like those, you know, the mid-sized spiral notebooks. And I would write all my ideas down, like you're talking about, to, to use later. And I got to where I had like two or three shelves of them, like, you know, three foot wide shelves. So I, I probably had 120, 140 of these little spirals. And what I discovered after doing that for 20, 25 years was that I never went back to a single one of them. I never look at my spirals because to tell you the truth, I think ideas and premises are absolutely useless for writing, for coming up with stories. I always just, it's like, I just like stumble around the world and wait for a voice to pop into my head. And that voice is the first line. And it tells me what's going to be the expositional delivery, the delivery of exposition method in this novel, who was going to be at the center of it. And that first line tells me all I need to know. And I turn into a second line, a paragraph, a section, a part, and a, a novel. And I never have plans. I never know. Like in Don't Fear the Reaper, I think I was probably about halfway through it before I thought, you know, I think this person's going to be the killer. And I, like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, to me, it's no fun to know what's going to happen, which is another, you're, you're asking the difference in fiction and script writing. That's a big difference because in script writing, you kind of have to know because everything is about structure. So you've, you've got to be able to build it to like you're hanging a laundry line, you know, and 
Um, for me, novels are not like that. Novels are pure discovery with every single thing that happens. And I often will drop things in there that I think are stupid just to like, like if you think of the novel as like a, a river of paint, like somebody poured eight buckets of paint up river and it's all these separated colors. I'll pour something in there that will swirl those colors together. And then we go off in a totally different direction. I don't know what's going on, but I'm writing down as fast as I can. Um, I wish sometimes I wish I knew where I was going, but I never have so far. They need to hire you for yeah. one of the scream sequels. Cause that's how they never know who the killer is. And in the right. Yeah. And, and that as a young person, I remember, I think it was, was it two or three. I can't remember, but mm-hmm. I remember none of the actors knew who the killer was as they were filming. Yeah. It was kept a secret. And I remember as a filmmaker, like a young person, I, I remember that really pissed me off because I was yeah. like, well, then they're, how are they playing motivate? This is just a game for an audience, not a actually motivated character, right? If they're all, yeah. if they're all just playing shells that one of the different as a writer, obviously, but for me it, with acting, I was like, yeah, that's a weird fucking idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of, kind of once you figure out who the killer is and you've written the novel, then you get back and revise right. it so you can make it look like it was planned all along. <laughs> exactly. you know? yeah. I was going to say, do you yeah. paint your, like, do you paint yeah. yourself into a corner when you're writing and then have to go, mm-hmm. oh, shit, that's not going to work. I got to go back to yeah. that all the time because of how I write. I always paint myself into a corner, but I love being painted into corners because I'm I have to become a better writer to get out of that corner or tell you the truth. I heard somebody say, I don't mind being painted in the corners because you know what? Paint dries. Just wait for it to dry and walk out. You know, you know, we were at <laughs> the good. jump cut eons ago. Mm-hmm. This is like 10 mm-hmm. years ago. Elric and I were mm-hmm. hosts. We were at the jump cut and Larry Cohen was speaking. Yeah, he's great about um, writing. He's always great. About and writing. I, I can't remember if we were hosting an event that night or if he was doing like one of his scripts or what it was, but he talked about how he intentionally would put himself into a corner while he Mm -hmm. was writing screenplays. And then if he just sat in that corner for two or three days, he would find a clever way out of it. That was far better than if he'd never entered the corner to begin with. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I I read somewhere or maybe I heard him saying in an interview, Kevin Williamson talking about scream that, you know, he, you know, he wrote it in three days up in Palm Springs, house sitting or whatever he did. And, um, and he was maybe, I don't know, 40, 50% through it. And he realized he already had Billy as a killer, but he realized that he had kind of messed up a, messed up a little part where Billy was both a killer and present in another place. Uh And he was like, he was like, he he can't be both of those. And instead of going back and fixing that, he's like, let's just do two killers. Yeah. Yeah, No, that's cool. Yeah. Those are the kind of patches that I love. Uh-huh. They're so mm-hmm. productive. A little free jazz. Yeah. yeah you got to go rough with it. Yeah. Right? No, that's real. No, exactly. really interesting. Yeah. You just got to, you just got to trust that something good is going to happen. That's the, that's the problem. Cause you're always forging in the darkness and it's scary doing that. And you don't have a candle. You're just feeling your way, but that's the only way to, to keep it vital. As far as I know, I mean, I, I'm not saying my way is the only way. There's a lot of wonderful novelists who plan every single beat and then just kind of flush it out as they go. And that works great for them, but it doesn't work for me. So you don't, and just to be in a novel, you don't outline at all or not really. No, okay. no not at all. It's, it's, not at oh all. God. Um, I would have an anxiety attack. I at least mm. will, like, I have to outline at least a couple of chapters ahead of where I am. So I know what mm. I'm working towards. Yeah. I can't imagine just that I would have such an anxiety attack. No, it, it is definitely, it is definitely anxiety inducing. And also I have, I've had to make a rule of my rule for myself used to my first probably two or three novels. I, I didn't know where I was going, but as I wrote, as I wrote something, I would have a spark of what should happen next and then next and next and next. And so I would have these notes in front of the, like a few carriage returns ahead of what I'm writing. 
but it gets to where you're pushing like 40 pages of stuff you've got to do. And that's like a mountain you got to climb, you know, how am I going to incorporate all that stuff? It's good stuff, but how does it fit? And I realized writing a novel is not about pulling down that stuff from that mountain and plugging it in. It's about walking in the darkness and feeling the shapes out and making it real for the reader. Yeah. What's that great? Uh, I can't remember the, which are, you probably will know that the quote. Uh, it's like driving with your headlights on. You can only see as far as the headlights, but you, yeah. but you can make the yeah. whole trip that way as long as you trust sure, that yeah. you can get there. Right. It's, it's, yeah. It's cool. yeah. But I, I am curious because with screenwriting, you know, that, that is, it proves to be, it's not impossible. Like everyone, some people yeah. do it, but it is so much harder. But I, I sometimes do find you can suffer under the weight of something that's too calculated already. Like, you know, there's, yeah. but, you know, interesting yeah. interesting well we yeah, well you know yeah. what what I, what I try to do with writing is i try to write the first draft with my heart and then i come back with my brain to revise because i think thinking is totally antithetical to creating like you're always going to second guess yourself you're always going to say that's not good enough for the critics the historians the audience um and so you've got to lower your standards and you've got to not think and then you can maybe get some writing done yeah being a critic and we are all the all like that with our films or whatever we make yeah. right you get too oh, yeah, critical yeah. and you get, and then you're dead basically in your head yeah um are. well we wouldn't have you here without talking about slashers someday we're gonna do it <laughs> but not today <laughs> uh 90s slashers came up um mm-hmm. and, and back it brought this uh, idea of 90s slashers yeah. and i thought first before we get into it we're going to just talk about some of our favorites, but I want to like, I know you're wearing Friday 13th bean. Let's look at the icons. Let's start with the icons and what they were doing in the nineties, just real quick. Okay. Cause they were all doing something in the nineties and they think yeah. it leads us yeah. to scream, obviously being the change. Yeah. yeah, I think it does. But like, so I'll, yeah. I'll just list them. Uh, we, we know Leatherface in 1990 had a movie called Leatherface. We got Freddie uh-huh. being pretty kind of having run his course and being kind of silly uh-huh. in 1991, at least yeah. I know Becca likes it, but you know, I like that, but one. it's really, it's really at the end of an idea, right? Cause it's getting it's- really goofy. It is so far apart from what the original movie was by that point. That yeah. even though I appreciate what Freddy's Dead's doing, on it's more yeah. on like a sitcom level. Yeah, um, yeah it is. like it's yeah. making it real meta by that point. But but just um, only a couple years yeah. later, you get New Nightmare. So so which is awesome. I, I, in my brain, it would have been a lot longer. Like, but I was looking it up. It's only three years. So you're going from like, really? the yeah. end of something that feels like the end of this big cycle to this very serious, you know, a, a precursor to Scream with New wow. Nightmare, which is crazy. I feel yeah, like Freddy was like dead for a decade and a half before yeah. we reinvented him. Oh. That's <laughs> yeah. wild that it was so short. Yeah. I, I think it felt it felt like he was dead for so long because he kept dying and coming back two years later. Yeah. And so when he's dead, when he's dead for like four or five years, we're like, is he really dead? Yeah. This is weird. And plus, like, and you know, age that we would have been around mm-hmm. that time, it's like the difference yeah. between like eighth and or even like sixth and tenth grade or whatever. Like that's yeah. huge. Right. When um, we're young, yeah. it's that's huge. Like, now it's like yeah. I feel like I saw you, uh, Stephen, like on the show yeah. like last week, right? So oh, no, <laughs> and it was it does, like yeah. four years uh, ago. All right. So, yeah. like, keep the countdown. Jason's gone to hell. Uh, this is this yeah. is my weird for whatever goddamn reason i love this movie and like it's not mm-hmm. as good as other like jason yeah. films and in, in that are pure jason but the first 20 minutes is just so entertaining the concept and then really it becomes is. a cool body switch movie yeah. but again it but it's proof that jason was over at that period right like it's proof that they yeah. didn't know what to do halloween michael myers is doing the curse of the thorn which is pretty damn wackadoo at that point uh and then comes back again post screen with you know the influence of hbo which i actually like hbo is fun um then i'm gonna end with this one before because it, i think it's a really i think it's one of the best movies of the entire cycle child's play too yeah it's 1990 is a great yeah. movie it's the only it one is. that and that makes sense that in a way chucky's the only one of them who kept surging 
through the yeah. 90s. All these others, the reason I listed them at the top is they're yeah. all kind of, in a sense, dying, but it's also interesting because mm-hmm. these are the icons we all grew up with, but these are all icons born in the 80s or very end of the 70s. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. so fascinating. I was just, before, as we were prepping for the show, I literally was thinking, uh, Art the Clown of Terrifier 2 might mm-hmm. be the first real slasher icon that is almost successful since these guys. And there's a, yeah. there's a, that's a long yeah. time before. Yeah, the, closest, the, closest mean, we've, the closest we've um, had to a franchise character since, you know, I guess since Chucky came along, well, since Ghostface came along, it's probably Victor Crowley. Yeah, from Victor Crowley. Yeah, right, Victor you know? Crowley had some yeah. identification, definitely. I think there's yeah. a couple others. But Candyman's 1990, I mean, so he's part of that for sure. Yeah. But but it. I uh, mean, I think yeah. Pennywise is enough that you know the new Pennywise, but that's not technically even a slasher. So no, it's, it's one not. of those things that like uh, you could go to the mall and see you know his face on everything at Hot Topic. Yeah, the way that yeah. you would a Freddy or a Jason, but. It's yeah. not quite a slasher, but and, that, by the way, I, the reason I said that I was at hot topic over the weekend and they have terrifier Two merch. And that oh, for wonderful. me was like a, okay, this has become, if hot topic mm-hmm. has it, it's now a phenomenon. It's something mm-hmm. that is, you know, kind and, of outpaced the movie itself. And in both cases mm-hmm. of Victor Crowley and that it's like, um, the, it feels like a fan may fan trying to create an icon. And, mm-hmm. and and that's hard, obviously, because they don't have studios or anything. Mm-hmm. But in the case of Arthur yeah. Clown, I was like, yeah, this uh, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. And then I started terrifying mm-hmm. too. And I'm sitting in a theater going, holy shit, this is an icon. And I'm just yeah. watching it born because the quality of the actual movie's high. You know, what they're pulling yeah. off is high. And, yeah. and that's, you know, it's a tough thing. At the end, I, I just wanted to start with those because I think there's mm-hmm. something about setting the scene that basically this subgenre needed something to switch it up in yeah. the 90s. Yeah. And, and there will be, at the end, I wrote down a bunch of the the kind of people they're trying to create as new icons that mm-hmm. didn't get sequels. Mm-hmm. We can get, if some of them come yeah. up, they'll come up. But I just, I just thought this yeah. is what we're kind of starting. We yeah. are kids of the eighties watching these icons. And then we get to the nineties and things start to shift. Yeah, I agree. And also, I mean, the child's play two. Yes. Child's play three. Isn't that pre-scream as well? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is. And also the, the second candy man and, Popcorn might be part of that mix too. Well, you know? popcorn was ninety one. That's yeah, one yeah. of my faves. Yeah, I've got that um, in the uh, like trying to birth a new icon. A little less, but he looks great. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that's one of my favorites of that. It's I, it's yeah. one I would pick as a official pick yeah. just because it's fun. They have flaws. Yeah. Some of the oh, all these movies tend to. Yeah. Uh, Candyman has no flaws, but a lot of these movies will have flaws. But that's half the reason you love mm-hmm. them. Yeah, and you know, talking about uh, franchise characters. I'm, uh, I kind of wish that what's his name Kane from Sino Evil. Oh, I wish he would have gone on because uh, he he was he was built built to support a franchise. I feel like yeah. it's some wrestler, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's a wrestler. Yeah, and he was yeah. a fun wrestler. I remember huh. when that movie came out; it was one of the first ones where we saw huh. a wrestler kind yeah. of going for that. There was a couple of others that came shortly after that, but I hmm. remember that being kind of like a. Um, no one really knew what to make of it, but it was yeah. primed to be kind of that same thing. Like I remember being um, a strange land fan um, mm-hmm. when that first came out. And then when I yeah. ended up working with D at Fangoria, it was also written to be part of a franchise that just never yeah. kind of continued, but I always liked that one. Let's start there then yeah. uh, with the, with the, let's just start. I'm curious of any of those that you remember from that period that didn't become big. Are there any that you wish outside of Kane is I know I feel like Becca's a Dr. Giggles kind of person I wasn't getting ready to say Dr. Giggles no, take, why uh, take Dr. Giggles no tell us about why you love Dr. Giggles I just figured yeah. you I love I love I love Dr. Giggles so much and it mm. was just it was you know by this time the slasher cycle had run its course and so most of the ones mm. that I put on my list when I'm looking at them it's very much that it 
was so over the top because it knew what had been like, they were trying to be scary, but more kind of gross out than anything. And basically just over the top, like make it fucking bonkers. And that's what Dr. Giggles is to me. I mean, he's crawling out of his dead mother's fucking corpse. I mean, that scene alone is worth my movie ticket. Um, So yeah. I love yeah. this character. I love Larry Drake as this character. I love Manny Cotto's directing in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. It was just fun. And mm-hmm. I remember having fun with it then. I still have fun with it now. The number of places, I will say this out loud, the number of times that I have gone to places and said, I really want to reboot this. And people say, really? And really? I say, no, I do. Wow. And then nothing happens. So oh, I've just, wow. I've been putting it out in the universe for yeah. five yeah. years now doing my Dr. Giggles proselytizing yeah. and nobody yeah. has listened yet. So yeah. I love Dr. Giggles. Yeah, but that movie ruined LA Low for me. You know, I just couldn't see Benny the same when he's delivering the mail. It's like, well, is he delivering the mail? Yeah, no, but oh, he was also in the uh, Dark Scarecrow. Is it Dark Knight of the Scarecrow? One of those. Dark Knight of yeah, the Yeah, the TV Scarecrow. movie one, and he's really yeah. good in that, too. Yeah. 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 You know, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is really interesting, I think. What's it from 80, 81? Yeah. Right? 81, yeah. yeah. And um, it's interesting because it's a it's got every element of the slasher except for a final girl. So it's like an experiment. How how do we tell a slasher without a final girl? And because the the what makes the final girl usually bulletproof or invulnerable is that she's not part of the cycle of justice. She didn't participate in the prank that resulted in all this you know badness. And but everybody that this scarecrow is after and dark Knight of the scarecrow deserves it and we're like rooting for them to die mm-hmm. and i mean there there's one person who has to be last but he's not he's not like a final girl no he's, it's a different thing a, yeah yeah that, that was different. what was interesting about terrified too actually just to go back to is mm-hmm. is that that was the first time sitting in a the theater where i was like this is a, a true her- heroine like uh, this is somebody i don't yeah. know how that's built i do think it's just alchemy but in the moment i was just watching it going yeah. wow i want to see this person survive and she seems strong enough to deserve this and yeah. it was cool it's a it's cool to see that yeah you're- yeah, you know the last two times the last two times I've seen that I guess are Ready or Not and You're Next. Mm-hmm. Th- those both have those kind of those kind of fighter girls. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and You're Next yeah. did, did did the smart thing of where they kind of justified and explained the how, which yeah. which had never yeah. really yeah. been done. Yeah. Which some people had a problem with. Yeah. I thought that was the coolest thing about it was. Yeah, like, no, no, this yeah, is why she she's up, like this. She grew- <laughs> Yeah, she grew up on a survival compound, yeah. so of course she has these skills. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you got Dr. Giggles. If you could, who who deserved more movies? Is there somebody you would have given more franchise to, Stephen? From the nineties. Um if you need any, I can tell you a couple of them that I've written to that uh if any of these don't go for your ice cream. I wonder about I wonder about Castle Freak, you oh, know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean Castle Freak is built on the same scaffolding as Anthropoph- Anthropophagus. Yeah. I never can say that title. I or can't either. Or Anthropophagus. Or I don't know, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's how you said it. And yeah. that one did have a sequel, actually. Part two of Anthropophagus. Yeah. It did? I did not know it that. Did. It's a Part loose two sequel, came out. but has the same dude it- running around the streets of, like, America suddenly. It's like Halloween really? uh, mixed yeah. with the Anthropophagus. <laughs> it's really weird. And it came out wow. in the 90s. Like, it was the 90s. Because really? when I was looking at, like, Slasher List today, that popped up uh-huh. on one, and I was like, really? Oh, it's called and- it's called Absurd. Oh, wow. I just Because I only saw it yeah. for the first time last year. It's, it's, it's not as good. But it's interesting yeah. because it really is like watching Halloween. But suddenly, the thing that's running down the street is this big dude who's like kind of a cannibal. Oh. It's kind of a weird. Yeah, movie. I've seen it. I've, I've seen Absurd. I never realized it was a sequel. Yeah, it's like and loose. I think it's pretty loose. But but uh, okay, here let me run a couple. Of, see what you guys. Think. Uncle Sam. Yeah. Like you know that was like yeah, trying yeah. to right. capitalize on a holiday. Funny Man was one I remember with the little guy and a little jester mm-hmm. guy. Ice Cream Man. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, the ice cream no, man. Oh, no. Howard. I haven't seen ice cream man. I've seen, I remember the cover for ice cream man. I never saw it somehow. Man. It's it's fun. Oh, it's I mean, fun, it's huh? exactly kind of the same way as like Dr. Giggles, where it's very okay. self-aware. It's okay. supposed to be funny. It's got, you know, it's very over the top horror comedy that is kind of framed okay. in a in a scary light, more gross than anything. I watched the what's, uh, what's that? Oh, go, oh go. no, sorry. <clears throat> Uh, oh, I was gonna say, yeah. what isn't there a basketball one which I have never been able to run down? Dribbler, oh. dribble. Oh, I don't. Yeah, know. it's some sort of. It's a slasher that's somehow related. I remember the cover had a basketball on it. I never did. Right. Never okay. Hello, that you like that? You, you shoot. You shoot hoops, right? I mean, so I, used to, I don't anymore. Well, I that. think me and you. When we when we get to watch a movie in person, we're watching dribbler or dribble, whatever yeah. it's called. Yeah. We're gonna watch the basketball <laughs> one that I've never heard of. Um, I watch Night of the Dribbler. How the that, fuck yeah. have we not watched this, Elric? <laughs> this is amazing. Damn, I'm and I I'm a basketball guy. I like that. Okay, I'm all right. Put it on my list. Um, I'm putting it on the list. I watched one that I'd never seen, even though I knew about it all through, like when I was a kid. But the dentist I'd never seen. I watched it last night. I did not oh, like God. it much. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> it was this movie. It was okay. I mean, again, going back to L.A. Law, it's Corbin Burnson, <laughs> you know, uh, and a Brian Yesda film. I mean, it's you know, it's very oh over the top. God. But yeah. that movie messed me up, and I must confess that I have not seen it since ninety. 90- Mm-hmm. whenever it mm-hmm. came out but yeah. there is a scene where she has had all of her teeth mm-hmm. pulled but the nerve endings are still intact yeah. and hanging mm-hmm. down mm-hmm. and that fucked me up so bad like he his wife yeah. is sitting poolside and then she lowers this like visor down and all the nerve endings are still sitting there oh you yeah. it messed me up it messed no it has me a up. couple good images yeah. but yeah, y'all could y'all could do a, a tooth horror episode. Oh, yeah. you, know, you could go from from Marathon Man to to the dentist Ooh. to Little Shop of Horrors uh-huh. to what is the cure, the cure for wellness that has a tooth scene, oh, doesn't it? It might. Yeah. Okay, guys. Yeah. So I got us our next treasure hunt. So Night of the Dribbler is <laughs> no longer available for streaming anywhere. There yeah, are no VHS uh-huh. copies. The DVD was so limited; it was released on limited run in two thousand nine. It is now selling for a hundred dollars on Amazon. Um, so I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll is... talk to John Carpenter. He'll have it. No, <laughs> he likes basketball. He'll have it. No, I'll check our connections. Check. See if I can yeah. hunt this one down. Yeah. This is teeth, amazing. Teeth do you have uh, like I, I know a lot of uh, folk horror and black magic. Mm-hmm. The teeth as ritualistic and uh, it seemed to pop up a lot, mm-hmm. right? In horror, which is interesting. Um, the one that yeah. I one of the ones I wrote down, which did have a bunch of sequels, and it's like maybe it came a little too late for us, is Wishmaster. Wishmaster. Oh, I love Wishmaster. Oh, you do? Okay, so maybe uh, yeah. I need to read because yeah. I saw it when I was young. I don't think I saw any of the sequels, but I don't yeah. have any feelings about it. Like I don't really remember. I don't know what. I what remember. did he do? I, I love. What was his thing? He, he, it was kind of like you know Timmy Turner, uh-huh. the Fairly Odd Parents. It's basically that. It's like I didn't word my wish carefully enough. He's like a know? gin or something. But, yeah, he like. Yeah, yeah, it's and, all yeah. like ironic punishments. That was yeah. it. Is like, you get like this the wish. Yeah. yeah, like the guy who wishes he wasn't in this jail cell. He he wishes he could walk out of this jail cell. The wishmaster is like done, and the guy squishes through the bars and turns to jelly. Oh you yeah, know, yeah. That okay. Kind of stuff. Maybe it's time to revisit the wishmasters. Yeah. And then the one I really liked was Brain Scan. I really dig this movie. I love Brain Scan. Yeah, big fan <laughs> of this great director. And yeah. and I do think this one, the the trickster, could have been you know could have deserved a couple in the eighties would have gotten three more movies, you know. But in yeah. ninety four, it's yeah. it's probably we were just kind of. You know, it's funny because Scream ignites this whole new thing, and yet it also kind of crushes mm-hmm. a lot of that past with it. Like, I don't think yeah, we could have yeah. accepted these movies for a while because Scream yeah. was giving us a new language that we wanted. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Scream brought it brought us a final girl who was different than the final girls in the 80s. And mm-hmm. in, in the 90s, or starting with Scream, the final girls generally came to this horror adventure with issues already. Like Sydney's dealing with the grief of her murdered mother. Mm-hmm. And then this cycling through this this episode of violence allows her to deal with that and process through it and come out the other side. You know, whereas the final girl, like Lori Strode, she did have no issues. She's got a yeah. test and who cares because she's going to ace it. Um, She just happens to be vigilant enough that she survives the night and pushes back against the the boogeyman. What but, are you talking um, about? She's his sister and was always organically Michael's sister <laughs> who he wanted revenge on. From the- <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, and that's another example of like changing something that's not organic, right? Like it's just, you tack it yeah. on and it becomes lore. When yeah, I'm teaching sure. history of horror, I always do like a little mm-hmm. side slide on brain scan mm-hmm. and talk about like the fear of CDs. It's always how yeah. the fear of technology follows us throughout all of history. Um, yeah. And, you know, whether it's going to be VHS tapes or then it goes to DVDs or CDs um, and video games. And I always have to explain because my students are like, so wait, it's a CD. And I'm like, yeah, but they were being mailed to your house at the time. Like they have no concept that AOL used to just mail you like yeah. CDs every or CD ROMs or whatever it was like every day you would get a new one in the mail and they were just everywhere and you were burning them and it was just Mm -hmm. a whole thing and so that's I always like that brain scan for me it's our fear of technology of the 90s and then we'll have you know our video drum or our fear of videotape from the 70s Mm -hmm. which is like an era Mm -hmm. meadow and then we Mm -hmm. get into all the internet horrors so yeah yeah I love it. it Not to bring it back to my writing, but in Don't Fear the Reaper, there's something that might work for that slide because it's got um, the people are trying to take down the bad guy by throwing spinning DVDs at him, you know, which is not going to work, really. <laughs> it could. That you, we need a, yeah. D, a DVD Cenobite or a Blu-ray Cenobite. Yeah. We haven't had uh, that. Blu-ray sure. Cenobite. Yeah, we we Blu-ray haven't Cenobite. had it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that, it'd be like that. the the guy in the glass cube and cabin in the woods who has a oh, saw yeah. blade uh-huh. on his face, but he's got oh, yeah. DVDs and Blu-rays. DVDs. You know? physical media cinema i love it yeah you know for 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 this episode y'all asked me to figure out you know what's a deep cut slasher and and so i went i went back and i burned through um argento's um trauma and there's a there's a that little scene in there of um what's her name aura the you know asia argento and she's like unspooling that videotape slowly and that that would go good in that slide too you know i wrote down trauma too because trauma is one of those movies that is that the baby one uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Okay. Don't say okay. too much, but the backstory. I, I, we talk about I it here have a lot. Not, I have not seen mm-hmm. it in a long time. I just yeah. need it. Yeah. That's the baby one. Okay. It, it's okay. totally a mess, but it's got some really yeah. cool garroting. <laughs> Like beheading stuff in the rain. Yeah. I, I love that kind of stuff. Like yeah. that stuff when it's when a killer's triggered by something like wet, like even misery. I mean, she gets kind of triggered mm-hmm. by the rain in that, and it and it really mm-hmm. forces her emotion. And she's a great character. I mean, I know she didn't lead to mm-hmm. other films, but she could have. You know, yeah, he's so good. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was as I was looking at the '90s, I found um, that what happens for me is I started having problems kind of distinguishing what was a slasher and what was just some of those really good thrillers that came out in the 90s. Because I started looking at things like Mute Witness. I fucking love that movie. That's top of my list Um, too, for sure. Yeah. And like, is it a slasher or does it become like one of those classy 90s thrillers? And Fear as well. Not like Marky Mark banging on his chest fear. That's cool too. Mm -hmm. But there's Mm -hmm. like an Ali Sheedy fear that comes like Mm -hmm. top of the 90s um, where she starts seeing through the eyes of a serial killer. 
It's yeah. awesome and a really cool setup, but I couldn't distinguish yeah. whether I'd call it a slasher or a thriller because we do get into that sexy thrillers of the 90s. It's the blur well. point yeah. of Giallo too, right? Like like yeah, is, American yeah. slashers that are more like thrillers become almost like Giallos. Yeah. Which, hey, that's fine too. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's fine. All that all that over that mixing and overlapping is great. And you know, the way I usually try to distinct, try to distinguish them, it doesn't always work. But in Giallo's, like it seems like 70% of the time the motivation is greed of some sort. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I want this property or whatever. Every once in a while you get a madman killer, somebody who is just like, I'm a rabid dog and I kill people. That's what yeah. I do. And I happen to target I happen to target this group. But um but yeah, in the nineties, those you're right. Like you get what, like um, single white female, Pacific Heights, yeah. all those type movies, and Hand of Rocks and Creed. You get all those things that shade over and use some of the conventions, but not not quite all of them. And but to tell you the truth, it's easy to put up walls and say this is a slasher. That's not a slasher. But that, yep. I don't think that I don't think that makes the world better. I think we should yeah. just let everybody in, and we should allow gradations. You know, we shouldn't mm-hmm. like try to form a club of this are the cool kids and everybody else can't play. You well, know? it'll make those movies better. The broader the broader you you kind of classify. Yeah. What you're talking about those ones you're talking about. I find that I heard a term once for them that like I think it's urban yuppie thrillers, and I love that. Yeah. I love the yeah. idea that it's all That's about these totally true. <laughs> these upwardly mobile yeah. yuppies somehow have this come down comeuppance coming to them. You know, for sure. Well, I mean that that. To me, that's what the golden age was, really, because yeah. the, po- the American population had moved to the suburbs to raise kids and be safe. Mm-hmm. But the Cold War was looming over us all. We could be vaporized in an instant. And so I feel like Michael and Jason and Freddie standing in the shadows outside your bedroom window, if you could focus in on them, maybe they're not carrying a machete. Maybe they've got a, a tomahawk missile there because that, that's the mm-hmm. fear that I think those movies were expressing to us. Yeah. Definitely. And I mean, I think that that was very much the conceit of the original mm. Halloween is it's mm. just unbridled fear and evil in the burbs. And yeah. that's yeah, yeah. where it comes out of. And um, that, 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 those, those closing frames of Halloween totally cement that how we're looking at all the empty spaces yeah. where Michael could be, you know, that's yeah. beautiful. Well, were, were there any that on your list that you I mean, I know we're jumping around because if I just feel like 90s, if we go down a list of five, it feels a little static given the kind of yeah. thing yeah. this is. But yeah. but were there any that you like really stand out for you that? are important to you in that way oh i mean it's kind of redundant or obvious to say but scream scream is my number one you know i mean it was so transformative it did everything good i'll I'll tell you my top five what were they well but also jade like going back to your book like jade 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 is so interesting like i'll be honest like jade and your first book um shouldn't work for me like just my taste And she totally does. And that was the interesting thing about her as a heroine. She's the kind of person, because it's going to be self-referential and she knows horror movies, but kind of going back yeah. to the true crime thing you're talking about at the start, which is like somebody finding a protective layer, right? A catharsis for themselves through horror. For some reason, that character feels yeah. uh, is so organic. She doesn't feel like mm-hmm. a trope at all, even though she's mm-hmm. interested in those tropes. And I think that's, yeah. I think that's really you know, hard to pull off in some ways. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. But I think that all of us in the horror community probably have a little bit of jade in us. We've all found ourselves cornering somebody at a party and delivering them to <laughs> delivering to them our little mini lecture about um, how Sansa Lambs stole from whatever, you know. And, you and, mean ten years of podcasting? Think... <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well played. At least our mini lecture people actually have to subscribe to. <laughs> we don't have to do it at parties. In fact, people come looking for it at parties, and I'm usually like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk. I just want the canapes. That's all I'm here yeah. for. The canapes. Well, let me tell you about Poltergeist Three for a second, because I really do feel strongly about it. <laughs> that one. I love. 
That's our go-to. All right, get, Man, you know, <laughs> give us your catch. I, I should do a po- I yeah, should do give- a podcast. I should do a podcast where I hire a voice actor and I write monologues for Jade to just say into a oh. mic. That would be great. That would Man. actually be doing a little side project with her as a like. Yeah. If, if if it becomes a movie and you have an actress playing yeah. that role, it'd be cool to get her to yeah. do something like a true crime or a film review yeah. podcast. That would yeah. be really interesting. I, I that would be I fun. Do think that's cool. Oh, but. I- I was going to tell you my top five yeah, from the nineties, not, not just the Neo slasher. Yeah, so I had anything. scream up top then then Candyman, yeah. then urban legend. I love urban legend. I know it's good issues, but I love no, urban legend. That one's on my list too. Yeah. Child's play too. Okay. And ending with, I know, I know what you did last summer, which is, nice. I think I, I know what you did last summer is not perfect, but I still, it has a big place in my heart. You know? I, I think that I one got better that. over time, yeah. you know, I, as yeah. we got, cause at the time yeah. it was, a lot of them are a little derivative right after scream yeah. then now yeah. compared to what we get now you kind of go back and go yeah, actually that's pretty fun and it's slick and it's a studio yeah. film yeah. you know plus and good I, crabs there's not a lot of good yeah. crab horror scenes and that one that's does true. it so good it does. crabs. and i so wish that final destination had snuck into 1999 because i love final destination i love the for all almost all of them to be honest yeah. i think the second one's yeah. gangbuster it's so good me too uh, I, love- I think yeah disturbing behavior i don't so do is I. that even considered a slasher like up, I don't up until the reveal i think it is but it, yeah. it doesn't really matter at that point you know you just yeah, yeah. once it goes yeah. like full x files but up to that point yeah. i just love yeah. the character so much and so I that was too. a big one for me I, lo- I love the characters and disturbing behavior and also the faculty they're like in the same moment it feels like oh and part oh, yeah. of it is just about casting really well like those are great yeah. casts great actors you got nick Stahl and people like just people yeah. who can act yeah. uh, unlike yeah. the yeah. 80s slashers not all of them but a lot of them were unknowns who weren't yeah, famous people yeah. and who weren't all good actors right it's just part of yeah. Yeah. what you could get away yeah. with yeah but, but using the unknowns was wonderful because we had no idea who was going to live i love know? that so much yeah. but, then, but then then that's why that's why scream was so brilliant because it take the most just like psycho take the most famous person and come first you know yeah. uh yeah. and I, I i agree i like even hto and things like that i think the casting mm-hmm. is is what makes them like really watchable um yeah. uh, outside of those ones becca where there a couple yeah, so I didn't know what to do with Psycho 4 because yeah. is Psycho a slasher? I actually really like Psycho 4. This is the beginning where yeah. it goes back to like his childhood and his time with his mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really well done. This is, I believe, Mick Garris did this yeah, one. I, I got to double check mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I again, it's it functions like a slasher, but yeah. I don't know if it's classified as that. So I also... Yeah. Um, didn't know delicatessen feels so stylized to be a slasher but mm-hmm. it does function the same way so that was another one where i was like maybe yeah. call it a slasher um and then i definitely for a deep cup wanted to include the one that i've talked about for the past couple of shows star time that i happened upon yeah, I on um yeah, i, I found it. that i found it on night flight and it was i believe 1990 and what's even wilder this is the weirdest thing i'm sitting i got a new teacher co-teaching with me at usc this semester for mm-hmm. my big like graduate thesis class and he's um doing production design and i'm sitting there and he comes in and he introduces himself and like everybody in the industry does the very first thing i do he's going over like the top you know hits of his career i immediately google him and i'm looking at him he was on star time oh, and weird. so immediately i'm like yeah i know you've done all these major spielberg films we're going to talk about star time because yeah, I have all yeah. these questions. So it was just this weird kind of connected nice. issue. Um, it's amazing after that, all these years, you can still like, it's still possible to stumble on one from the eighties or nineties. It, it's unreal. that, that Yeah. Seen. Given how many movies we've all seen from this era, it's amazing. Every year mm-hmm. I will find something new that was like, where was that? Like night of the dribbler. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I'm going to yeah. hit you with a couple of other deep cuts that I definitely wanted to mention. This one, I think I covered on a one of our episodes of Deep Cuts a couple of months back, The Curve from 1998. This is Matthew Lillard, Carrie Russell, Dana Delaney. Um, wild little slasher. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect. It's got some mm-hmm. stumbling that the plot does. But if you're like a completionist of 90 slashers, this one mm-hmm. had a hell of a cast, had some really fun times too. It's either called The mm-hmm. Curve or Dead Man's Curve. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also wanted to give some love to Lighthouse, which I know I talked about a lot on Killer POV because I had just watched it at the time. Um, but I haven't mentioned it in 10 yeah. years probably. And this is from 1999. Again, I'm not sure if I would call it a slasher or a serial killer movie, but it's badass. I'm going to mention it. It's about a prison ship that gets, um, that is transporting prisoners and um, a medical doctor and a few other people. And it gets shipwrecked on some rocks at sea and everybody gets washed up onto an island lighthouse along with a serial killer called the headhunter. So it's all these prisoners and a prison doctor having to band together, um, even though they're from all different levels of crime, to fight off this unrelenting serial killer called the headhunter. And it's wild. And this one does not get a lot of love. I will also say when I was looking at best slashers of the 90s list, I was really happy to see Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, The Initiation on there. Wait, Go that's Brian. a witch movie. I know. People were calling it the slasher, so I'm dropping it All in All right. Here. Well, you can. Yeah. With, I'm dangerous tonight, the Toby yeah. Hooper killer dress movie. I was like, well, okay, yeah. I'll call I it I saw that for the first time recently, and it's actually really, it follows the slasher formula, and it even does. though it's a supernatural kind of dress thing. Um, yeah, just real quickly. I mean, I, I agree. I think Mute Witness should be one that people we've been talking about for a few years, but people should seek mm-hmm. it out just because it's, it's trying to go for something different and it's, and it's self-referential to movies. And, uh, but maniac cop two is one of my truly favorites because mm-hmm. it's, it, I put it more in the action category now than just a slight, you know I mean? It's, it's a big mm-hmm. stunt driven movie, but it is so much better than the first, so much more fun. Yeah. So much. So it's just like a big, crazy movie, uh, uh that I feel like maybe still goes under the radar, you know, for most people. And, um, the other one I, I love, and especially, so I know a lot of our listeners are big queen, uh, queen's gambit people, you know, a lot of people listening to the queen's gambit podcast about chess. If that's your bag, come over to night moves with uh, Christopher Lambier and you'll see a really the best intersection of like Jalo slasher. Like to me, this is the best example of where the American kind of thriller, the Jalo and a slasher film all collide in a very, and it's Diane Lane and Christopher Lambert. He's a, you know, grandmaster chess player and somebody's being murdered while he's playing this chess game and kind of like saw, hmm. you know, they're challenging him to solve it because he's some genius and they're like you better if you don't solve this these killings will start keep going and i remember you know more so when i first saw it in uh, 96 or whatever i was so i thought it was just like the best movie ever and the sexiest movie too like diana lane diane lane you know christopher lambert and diane lane in, in a sauna you know and they're all the sexual innuendos flying back and forth of course they're married uh during the making of it but uh I don't know. This is one of those movies that really sticks with me when I rewatch it. Yeah, it's very stylish, very 90s, but it is, a, to me, it's, it's a good, you know, one of those movies that you can point to and go, oh, okay, this is where a bunch of different subgenres all collided and we got something that became uniquely American in, in the thriller, you know? That's really cool. So I suspect it's Night Moves, like K and I. Yeah, he's, look up the trailer okay. afterwards and you'll go, oh, okay. okay. You, I mean, uh, you might have even seen it and forgotten. Uh, yeah, I could have. I mean, I know the Gene Hackman Night Moves, which I like oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, that's a, a good movie, um, yeah. I, I wonder yeah. when did when did Lambert's um, resurrection come out? Is that like right? At the I end think of the it's 90s? right after this because I remember this and that, okay. and that was like one more that was also in that kind of style, yeah. you know. 
yeah yeah i like the resurrection oh then you're gonna like okay this is the movie then i want i want to see i need to watch star time from from becca you need to watch night moves uh and we all have to watch night of the dribbler together Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. For I gotta sure. find us a copy of that, y'all. Yeah, for sure. Oh, are we doing? Uh, you know, I think my deep cut is. Do y'all know? Um, and I'm gonna say this name wrong, probably. I think they say it a lot of different ways in the film. Colobos or Colobos. Colobos. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah. It's yeah. okay. So this one um, happened on a number of years ago, I believe, when they mm-hmm. did like a Blu-ray release, and I really? was so shocked because it's like Big Brother before Big Brother. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's it's. It's, it does some really interesting interesting things with who's the final girl, who's the slasher, and I, I like it. It feels like it was ahead of its time because really ahead like, of its like, time. Like the neo slashers would go from Scream up until about like Cherry Falls or Valentine, and after that we start getting all the variations like Leslie Vernon, Tucker and Dale, Detention, Kevin in the Woods, all the all the like weird different ways you can grow a slasher. And oh yeah, I feel like Colobos was a very very early let's grow a slasher in a different way and see what happens. Mm. You know? It was. Yeah. The whole setup of it is a group of mm. people. It's, it's basically kind of like preceding big brother or even my little eye, which was like the British equivalent of it that comes later. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a group of people have been gathered in a house and they're, they think they're being paid and that someone's going to kind of film their every move. And mm-hmm. one by one, they start dying through what seemed like accidents at first, if memory serves. Like, it's very much like, oh, the gas is on in the oven, then somebody gets burned um, because it explodes. And so if I remember correctly, it kind of well, started like accident. I, well, um, I, I could be remembering wrong, too. But the way I remember the first death is that it's like a a spring-loaded saw blade springs out of the kitchen cabinet and cuts I a girl. I think that's it. Okay, never <laughs> yeah. mind. Never mind. I remember yeah. something coming out of the kitchen and everybody yeah. being yeah. like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then, um, but they're <laughs> locked in. They can't yeah. leave and they're being yeah. recorded. So yeah, it really felt big brothery. But yeah, this is one of those that I happened upon and was like, and it feels homemade. Mm-hmm. Like it has yeah, this it does. Little, like, you know, shot in my backyard aesthetic to it, but it's mm-hmm. got some real captivating stuff to it. Yeah, it does. It does. Like something about the resolution. It feels like shot on video or something. I don't, I don't know what it was. I'm shot fairly on. sure it was shot on video. Okay. I've gotta, I'm yeah. Googling this now. But yeah, I feel yeah. like this definitely was. Um, yeah, mm. this is 1999. So it's a little bit later. But yeah, it definitely mm. has a really strong indie quality to it. Yeah. I feel like by yeah. 99, we were out of SOV, but possibly not. There yeah. is no info on what it was shot on. <laughs> I just real I just realized looking at your at your beanie that we are going to get a, a we're not going to get a new Friday this year but we're going to get the series set in the summer camp and my brain yeah. races with what that could be right possible I mean yeah. obviously with Fuller I'll trust whatever he, wherever he's yeah. going you know but that's exciting for sure, for sure. that yeah. is definitely now yeah. yeah. excellent well thank you so much for joining us here tonight Stephen are you going to see mm-hmm. Cocaine Bear this coming weekend that's kind I of I cannot wait to see Cocaine Bear. Elric and I have tickets for Friday night, and we are so stoked. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and hopefully, hopefully, like the Cocaine Bear franchise and the Art the Clown, the Terrifier franchise gets big enough that they can have a Freddy versus Jason. Oh man, oh my gosh! I'm bringing some Grizzly. I'm in. I... <laughs> I really, I really hope this spurs like an all new like when Animal attacks. Yeah. Yeah. praise i could yeah. use some more of that so yeah, yeah. i can definitely yeah. let's get away from haunted houses for a bit and go full animal attacks again yeah but yeah. anyways thank you for uh joining us tonight don't fear the reaper is now available you can find it just about anywhere um including airports i saw it at one just a couple of weeks ago and i was mm-hmm. like oh no, there it is 
Yes. Um, so <laughs> do you have anything else on the horizon that you can talk about yet? Any other books in the pipeline that you've already announced? I've got Earth Divers coming out oh, cool. monthly. My comic book about going back in time to try to kill Christopher Columbus to stop America from happening in order to save the world, which is all kinds of fun. Um, the issue that comes, the, the issue five, which will be on the stands by the time this airs, is quite quite bloody it hasn't been that bloody but issue five is just soaked in blood um the next novel that i can announce that's coming out that's already been announced in publishers marketplace or wherever is um i was a teenage slasher oh. which oh. It's, it's a small town it's set in la Mesa, texas a little bitty place the farming community and it's a slasher yeah it's it's a slasher it, it's covering probably some of, i mean all slashers cover a little bit of the same territory they're all justice fantasies but um it's i i I loved um, Happy Death Day. I loved Freaky. And so I wrote, I was a teenage slasher as what I thought would be the third installment of that trilogy. Okay, cool. Nice. That sounds fun. It's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And we'll get you back on for I Was a Teenage Slasher. For our deep dive into Night of the Dribbler. We're all going to do a commentary, online commentary. Online commentary for Night of the Dribbler. I got to find us the copy first, y'all. I'm on a hunt. So thank you so much, Stephen. And thank thank you, you, everybody, for listening. Please check out our Patreon for fun things like Mm -hmm. Night of the Dribbler. That's where that type of stuff ends up. Um, So, yeah, you can find us online through colors of the dark deep cuts and uh thank you guys so much we'll be back in another two weeks with another fun show the colors of the dark podcast is a fangoria production producers and co-hosts are rebecca mckendry and elric kane executive producers are tara ainsley and abby ghoul Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. <laughs> <laughs>